Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 1, Episode 10, titled Fire and Blood. I almost said Blood and Fire. Got a little bit of both. I'm a little, I got a little bloodlust going this week. <laughs> uh, what did you think of this episode? Um, it was your stereotypical Game of Thrones Episode 10, where it just really gets you amped up for the next season. I remember... Yeah. Uh, I remember podcasting this episode and thinking about all the possibilities of like ranging in force and Danny with dragons and mm-hmm. Rob King in the North. And like, man, seems like there's infinite possibilities for storylines and where they could go. And, you know, I was probably wrong about nine tenths, ten, uh, nine tenths of them. Uh, but I thought as a thing that the last episode is about crushing the viewer's hope, this episode is about stoking it. Mm-hmm. And I think it does a great job. What about you? Yeah, I feel roughly the same. I, I come away with this, with the feeling that season two is really going to get off to a good start. Uh, and we're going to have a lot of cool stuff to watch. Uh, maybe some some possible encounters with the whites up north. Uh, who knows what the fuck Danny's going to do with dragons. I mean, they're little yeah. baby dragons. It's not like sure. they're going to burn anybody alive or anything with fire or acid or whatever they shoot. Right. Uh, but I don't know. That seems like it will be interesting sometime in the future. This is really the first episode, if you ignore, I guess, the, the ice zombies. But this is the first episode where the fantasy kind of comes out from behind the curtain. Yeah. Like, up until now, it's been a gritty political little drama that just happened to be set in a fictionalized version of the Middle Ages. Now the dragons come out from behind the, the kimono. And the witchcraft. And the witchcraft and, and, and the blood the... magic. And like I yeah. said, I, I, it's never not been a part of the show because it opens up with ice zombies, you know, resurrecting the dead. And we got a little dose of that a couple episodes back. But I feel yeah. like this is the first time where it's like... It's too late. All you people that got sucked in with the gritty political drama, it's too late. Here's dragons. Dragons into cornflakes. Yeah, I was one of those people. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm at this point. I'm not really a fan of that dragon storyline. Like it just, it's yeah. not doing it for me. Dragons are like a little bit. I feel like I give them a little more leeway than most fantasy stuff because at least they're just they're... fucking cool. Yeah. <laughs> a. Well, that's so. I was going to say that. That's what. I guess I like about fantasy is that every once in a while you get the taste of the awesome impossible and mm-hmm. that's you know that sets it apart from your you know house of cards uh sure. which is essentially game of thrones minus the dragons. Uh, right. And it's I have to say the poorer for it. Okay. <laughs> I could use a dragon or two in there. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, imagine if Kevin Spacey had dragons. On the other hand, Game of Thrones has no crypto put- Putin. That's true. Yeah. I mean... There's really no character comparable. No, no. So, uh... <laughs> but yeah, otherwise, it's a pretty much one-to-one. But yeah, no, that's, that's I think, why I watch fantasy stuff, is every once in a while, you know, you get, you get a heightened reality that kind of stirs something the way that depictions of more mundane things don't, for me, anyway. Yeah. Well, the dragons are doing, doing it for me a little bit. Uh, the Drogo witchcraft thing, not so much. Okay. Like, I'm, I'm very uninterested in that part of the whole story here. Right on. Uh, I, I'm super interested in what's going to happen north of the wall with John and Gior and essentially the entire Night's Watch. Like, that might be a mistake. I guess we'll talk about it when we get there. Uh, but that could lead to some cool stuff. And then 
Tyrion going back to King's Landing to be Hand of the King. I mentioned that that's the one I meant to hit, like the fact that if I remember thinking in at the end of season one, like shit. Uh, Sean Bean was the star of the show. He was the hand of the king. He uh-huh. was like the main focus of season one. Tyrion was my favorite character in season one. Yeah, he's going to be the star of season two. Fuck yes, awesome. That, that's probably the most exciting thing. Like, mm-hmm. I've got a taste of what he can do, uh, and like he's really great in his dad's war camp here, where he smashes the thing and like reveals them for all being naive fools. Yeah, I'm like, yes, get him up in King's Landing. <laughs> Bring that boy key, uh, king to heal. Uh-huh. Bring the girl queen to heal, for that matter. Do it, do it, man. Yeah, that, that's really exciting, uh, and especially like it, when you mix him and Varys and Littlefinger, right? Like the it, the possibilities are just endless, and I'm yeah. I'm loving it because, like you know, we we talked about the we talked about our frustration as a viewer watching Ned kind of ineptly and tragically mm-hmm. navigate the corridors of power, King's Landing, right. And we never really talk about the frustration that maybe Varys especially and maybe Littlefinger felt about dealing with this guy who's so obtuse. <laughs> but, like, you throw Tyrion into the mix and, mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, that's going to be amazing. Like, a, a person that can play the intrigue as well as the intriguers. Right. Ugh, that's, yeah, that's, you... that's the promise of things to come. Uh, why don't we get into the recap? Yeah, we we're, start- we're starting to do the preview cast for season two. <laughs> right. Uh, so we start off with the aftermath of Ned's beheading, and and Yorin's out there. He, he grabs, he snatches up Arya, calls her a boy several times, takes her out of the crowd and cuts her hair, and then says, I'm taking you north. You're coming mm-hmm. with me. Uh, I guess to, to go to the wall? Yeah. Seems like it, or at least head that direction out of King's Landing. Right. Uh, get her out of immediate danger. He could drop her off at Winterfell, I suppose. Yeah. That'd be what I'd be looking to do if I was Yorin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bran retraces his the the steps of his crypt dream with the help of Asha. He's not actually having a dream here. This is real life. Uh, he tells her the histories of the Starks down in the crypts and finds Ned's spot in the crypts empty, even though he saw him in his dream last night. And then Rickon comes out of the shadows with Shaggy Dog barking and growling and tells Bran, I saw Ned last night too. He was down here. Uh, when they come out of the crypts, Lewin has some real bad news about Ned. Mm-hmm. Mm, almost prophetic dream. Interesting. Yeah, and they're both having it, too, right? Like, yeah. I don't know if they're having the exact same dream. Right. But they are having... They're both seeing their father down there in the crypts. Yeah, roughly the same time. Very yeah. intriguing. Very intriguing. I don't know what that Stark says children. about the Starks, but... Well, who who could say? Who can say? Uh, Catelyn hears the news about Ned and goes into the woods to cry... She finds Rob out there ruining his sword against a tree, and he promises to kill all the Lannisters, and Catelyn says, well, we gotta get the girls back first. I like that they make you think that she's gonna give the real politic of, like, well, they have, you know, this yeah. is the way the world works. You're gonna have to grow up, and then she's like, you know, you know, they have your sisters. We need to get them back. Then we'll kill every last motherfucker. And right. that's like, yeah, like that's that's the I think a non Game of Thrones show would leave us without the mother adding to the oh, yeah, no, we're going to kill them all, too. But Game of Thrones takes an extra mile to give mm-hmm. you the real politic. And then, yes, we are also going to kill every last shit at King's Landing. Yep. Uh, and it's it's nice. I guess uh, there's there's a comparison to be made here between how Tywin responds to Jamie's capture and how Catelyn responds to Ned's beheading. 
because I, I think they're both... All right, make that comparison. I think that maybe they're both setting up for the same goal. We're going to get our family members mm. back and then kill every last Stark right. slash flip, Lannister. Flip all the tables, yeah. Right. The war is really on both sides now, whereas before, it's kind of just on the the snow side, or the snow side, the Stark side. Um, now it's kind of, you know, with the capture of Jaime, bled over to the Lannister side. Did it seem like to you that there was an, maybe a possibility for a Cold War like with but with significant hostages mm-hmm. on both sides, like you don't you don't have Daddy Lannister and you don't have Daddy Stark, but you do have the sisters and you have the brother. Yeah. Like that seems two of the sisters might be worth the Jamie. Like maybe that there is a, a a way where these guys would kind of like more slowly duel and deal through proxies and yeah, at, at this stage, or do you think it's going to be all out war no matter what? I just think. The 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 sticking point is going to be Ned's head. Mm. Ned's dead, and I don't think anybody's cool with that. Yeah. Regardless of how many daughters and sons they get back. Yeah. What if? Well, nah. I'm not going to play a game of what if. That's fan fictiony. That's fan fictiony. Don't truck with that here in this podcast. If Ned was still alive, yeah, I definitely. think No, there's I was thinking like if Tywin but... died. Like imagine if Tywin died in the battle and Jamie was captured. Okay. If they had like beheaded Tywin, but, but that's like. I mean, that's like uh, saying that you would sacrifice your king for a queen, to take the other person's queen. Because I like Ned. Mm-hmm. Ned's no fucking Tywin Lannister. Sure. Like, maybe if it came to all-out war, that would be interesting. But as far as negoti- you know, trying to get your allies whipped up and, and you know, yeah. keeping the neutrals in play. Like, I, like, Tywin's just going to... I don't see any way that Tywin doesn't outfight you know Ned the 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 Stark army and Ned as long as he's still alive but if both of them are dead that's like way in the Stark's favor because you got right. then you got Joffrey yeah. and Jaime and Joffrey and Cersei that have to ride to the rescue mm-hmm. and <laughs> I don't feel good about that yeah or despite what my, With... Ma- Maester Pycelle says about Joffrey's keen military mind oh god <laughs> yeah I don't buy that for one second yeah uh yeah, I mean, that would be an entirely different battle for sure. You would have, like... It, it, also, like, King's Landing has a bunch of wild cards in it, too, like Littlefinger and sure. Varys. I mean, yeah. if we believe what Varys says about his intentions, he's there sowing chaos in the land and trying to undermine the king here. So, like, I I think it would be a real uphill battle without Tywin, for sure. Yeah. Well, we'll uh, we'll have to see, but yeah, there's uh, like I said, it, it would be interesting to see uh, what. I mean, I don't know. Like I said, I don't. It's not interesting. It's not interesting to conceive of all possible <laughs> alternate realities where things could have happened. And then that's something you do when you've been waiting for six years for a book. So sure, let's let's move on. Okay. Uh, so Catelyn here is. Wait, we already we already did this. Uh, uh, there's a bard in the throne room singing a very insulting song about King but King funny. Robert. Very funny, very good song. I enjoyed it yeah. immensely, and I think actually Cersei enjoyed it immensely as well. <laughs> you do? She's uh, she's over there smiling. She's cracking uh, a smile about I, his. I think the, she's she's wearing a look of distaste. Mm, I she didn't like Robert. Yeah, but how does she feel about it in the context of this being her son and this being kind of like? I mean, you're right. Like, I think if I was Cersei, I'd be flattered in, like, uh, yeah, he's uh, the, this boar's less murderous than the lion in my bed. Like, mm-hmm. that makes you sound like a badass. Right. But on the other hand, it's kind of, <laughs> yeah. I think she dug the song. It's just okay. Joffrey. Joffrey, you know, he's, he still thinks Robert's his father, and mm-hmm. he loved his father. And 
that's yeah that's the thing like i'm not entirely sure how much of this is him loving his father which we've talked about the kind of complicated relationship that probably any teenage boy has with his king father sure especially when you got one like robert um but also like i think he just enjoys cruelty he does. So, like, this yeah. is an excuse, like, hey, I can do something cruel and unusual and the on the pretext of maintaining justice in the realm. Yes, I will do that thing. Sure. I mean, if he's smart, like, this guy is super, super clever. I would I would pay him to sing songs about my enemies. <laughs> hey, uh, go out, go out, sit in Baylor Square and, and talk about what a dumb fuck Ned Stark was. And also make sure you cast aspersions about... Right, go easy on Sansa because I'm supposed to marry her. But like that's right. that's yeah. what that's what a Tywin Lannister would do. Uh, yeah. So Joffrey doesn't like it. He gives the guy a choice between keeping his hands or his tongue. Guy chooses his hands, so they pull his tongue out. And Joffrey invites Sansa to take a walk with him. Uh, I guess Ilan Payne just constantly carries the tongue pullers. Just yeah, I think he's ready to. Tor- I think he's ready to torture at a moment mo- moment's notice. He's ready to behead torture. That's a pretty standard piece of equipment in the torture kit, right? Yeah, you got you got pliers, you got you knife. Can... Right. He's probably got some bamboo shoots mm-hmm. uh, in his utility belt. Yep. Like he's just a Batman. Got some hammers, pain. maybe <laughs> for smashing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Some yeah, small, like a little, like ball couple peens. ball peen tinker's <laughs> hammer. Yeah. Right. You know, the, the kneecaps shatter instantly with those things. <laughs> Uh, and, and something, something sharp and pointy. He obviously yeah. has his knife with him. Yep. Uh, then did you get the fact that Sir Ellen is, has no tongue? Is that, was No, was that, okay. I didn't. That's why, I mean, this is something they make manifest oh. in the books, but that's why Joffrey said it's only fitting for you to do it because. That makes sense. Sir Ellen got his, uh, tongue pulled out, um, boasting about how awesome Tywin Lannister was or in front of the wrong people and Tywin rewarded huh. him. Uh, for his loyalty and for the loss of his tongue with a prominent position in his household. so <laughs> Getting revenge on yeah. all the bad people. Yeah. Uh, Podrick Payne is one of his relatives. Famously has his tongue. <laughs> who is Podrick Payne? <laughs> we I, have it. Oh, I have no shit. idea who Podrick the Payne leg- is. You guys, you, guys are, you guys are in for the legend of Podrick. <laughs> Just wait. Be, wait. be on Tinder hooks about this Podrick showing up. Yep. Never heard of him. Uh, Joffrey takes Sansa to see her father's head on a spike. She doesn't exactly react like Joffrey wants, so he has Sir Marin Trant smack her a couple times. Uh, Sansa approaches Joffrey to try and throw him off the platform, but the Hound stops her. And then after Joffrey leaves, the Hound advises Sansa to give Joffrey what he wants. Save herself some pain. It's interesting to me that the Hound seemed like he was in tune with what Sansa is feeling, which makes sense. Like, he was the person tormented by... An implacable foe that he couldn't get out of his brother, mm-hmm. the mountain. Uh, and he noticed that, like, what she's looking at and what she's thinking. He goes to prevent her. What I thought is interesting that they make it a point that everyone leaves her to stand on that catwalk. So, like, is is the hound the greatest suicide hotline operator ever? Like, he right. just needs to say two sentences to you, and you're like, you're right, you're right. I've completely reconsidered my thoughts. And yeah, I, you, you I, can be trusted with a with a, bo- a bottle of Tylenol, a razor blade, a loaded shotgun, uh, <laughs> a length of braided rope, like all that stuff. You can just uh, there's the suicide is the furthest thought in your mind after he uh, talks to you. Yeah, he's he's got the the silver tongue that hound. <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah, I, I mean, I do think there are two things going through Sansa's head. One is I could jump off here and kill myself because things are so bad. 
Uh, I could also shove Joffrey off. Oh, you're thinking she was going him. to shove and Joffrey. I think so. Yeah. Mm. I mean, she's. I think both of those things are going through her head, mm-hmm. and she chooses to try to go after Joffrey because she walks up to him. Mm-hmm. But then the hound stops her, and then you know, he, she could also take her own life here. I thought that after largely showing Sansa being a silly person this season, mm-hmm. that the last few episodes where she. Uh, you know, gave a pretty good defense of her father and negotiated yeah. a fairly tricky thing with, of course, you know, the king welched on the the, the agreement. Right. Uh, and this is kind of her... She's What I'm trying to get at is she's showing a surprising amount of underlying strength. Mm-hmm. You know, she kind of sands out in the first few ep- the first few moments of the scene, but then she finds the steel to look at her father and a septum and kind of, like, show Joffrey that he has no power over her. Yeah. Well, I mean, he can have his knights bully her, mm-hmm. but... You know, kind of like you can't you you, you well, can't imprison my mind or my spirit. I, that's the other thing about it here is she does have a little bit of power, right? I mean, Joffrey obviously can't do absolutely anything he wants because his mother wants him to marry this girl, which is strange. We're going to talk about in the feedback about like what is the political ramifications of him marrying Sans at this point? Okay. Uh, regardless, I think there are parental ramifications right right he's still got to listen to his mom a little bit yeah uh so sansa is i don't want to say safe here i i think she's still in danger somehow knows that he can't like there are some limits yeah right right right. he can torment you by you know taunting her with his cruelty to others and he can rough you up with his his uh you know his king's guardman but he can't yeah he can't mortally hurt her at this point right uh, but they're that... really making Joffrey out to be just a shit here. I mean, yeah, oh yeah, oh, he just, he's he the just worst. loves to torment people. Yeah, um, and he thinks this is strength. He thinks these things, right. uh, you know, bullying a little girl. He thinks are... people are going to respect or fear him. Fear, yeah. I think um, he's going with the fear is better than being liked and respected. Yeah. Um, but uh, you might even be confusing the two. I'm, sure. I'm not sure. He's, many, he's still a child. Many <laughs> despots do. Right. Do you, what do you think the Hound thinks of? Sir Marin Trant slapping Sansa at... I mean, what... I, I thought it'd be interesting if uh, the Hound was ordered to slap Sansa, what he would have done. Huh, okay. I don't know. Uh, he certainly seemed to jump in and try and help her as much as he could here. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. It's not great advice. Right. You know, just give him what he wants. And he's a, he's a Kingsguard, officially. It's, like, weird to see right. the Hound... After he's had this ferocious dog mask and this 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 kind of utilitarian plate that being this ornamental you know en- white enameled armor, um, but yeah, he's a king, so he's gotta gotta listen to the the king at this point. Yeah, I don't think he wants to slap Sands. I don't think he thinks much of the, this this bullshit. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's thought much of Joffrey at all. Actually, if you go back to the first episodes where he was telling just Tyrion's like, hey, you know. Not sh- I, I, I'm not disapproving what you did, but you know you're playing a dangerous game here, and Tyrion doesn't give a fuck. But <laughs> uh, so the men argue about who should be king up up in. Uh, I guess they're not in Winterfell here. Where are they? They would be north of the Twins, so they're kind of in the okay. the uh, the the western part of Westeros' the neck. They did, yeah. They're on the other side. Okay, so they're south of. Kind of like on the ones? border of the Westerlands, maybe like that's t- okay. that's uh, uh, Tywin's the uh, the the Lannisters kind of like territory. Huh. Okay. So they've taken a castle here, or or a small keep, Could whatever be. it sure. is. Um, 
because because they're in some and they're, and big they're still hall. in the Riverlands. So I also think that um, they talked they talked a mess about. I mean, I don't know exactly where they're supposed to be, but they also talked about how they the what they did last last week freed up the the uh, River Run, which is where you know Cat father and they've got a lot of loyal bannermans i think this is still friendly uh, territory they might not have had to invade to keep but gotcha maybe this is supposed to be river run maybe i don't know okay. uh but they're arguing about who should be king rob thinks it should be stannis because he's next in line uh, sure. he's, he's got his dad's opinion of the whole thing yep. uh some of the other men think it should be rinley but great john umber doesn't give a shit who's the king in the south he wants the the north to rule itself and he proclaims rob the king in the north yeah and this makes good sense because he says, like, we bowed to the dragons. Mm. There are no more dragons anymore. So why, you know, and we had a long and illustrious history of ruling ourselves. Why Why shouldn't we? Mm-hmm. Um, a logical conclusion to this is that now that Ned's dead, I guess he's still got the sisters to quest for, but uh, might be the smartest thing to just go ahead and just hold the north. Declare yourself as king of the north, sit up north, and see what happens. Yeah. Could be. Uh, Hold on to Jamie, ransom your sisters for Jamie, and then let Tywin brave the neck and everything else that he'd have to get through to get get up to the north to punish you for it. Yeah, and I I know they're unaware of this, but maybe hope that whatever Varys' plan is causes enough chaos for them to ignore the north for a while. Right. Well, I mean, that's sometimes like in strategy, like not taking an action is better than taking an ill-conceived or hasty action because you never know what's going to, you know, time and unforeseen occurrences befall us all. It's true. Even great men like Tywin Lannister. So King could get gored by a boar. Sure. Boar gores (laughs) is the worst. Uh, So Catelyn goes to see Jaime. And she bashes him with a rock, and Jamie makes it clear, I'm not afraid of death. But Catelyn asks how Bran fell out of the tower. Jamie says, I pushed him because I wanted him dead, but doesn't really tell her why. And she kind of lets it go. You really, Catelyn? You're not going to press this issue? I, I guess she didn't think she could get an answer out of him. That's the thing, because I was, I was having the same thoughts, and I was analyzing the scene, and I feel like that Jamie is trying to impress upon her, like, what answer do you want that would satisfy you like you already know enough to kind of say like why you know you're it's almost like he was giving her a level of respect like you're smart enough to have figured this you you got all the information you need to figure it out so hmm. you know if, if i what what is me saying it going to do and and she kind of realized that like does she really want to hear him say that like i don't know that's my that's my two-bit analysis of what emotions they're feeling here okay uh, it was pretty impenetrable for me. I don't, I don't know how I feel about this scene. Uh, d- do you buy that Jamie's not afraid to die, though? I... Or is he putting on a face here? Dude, that's a really good question. I I don't I, I don't know. I, don't I think know. I bought it. I, I think... Because you got to remember that this is, this is after he was entrusted by his very difficult-to-please, notoriously hard-to-please father. He was entrusted with half the army to distinguish himself. Mm-hmm. And he's now sitting in his foe's prison camp, covered in mud and shit, and <laughs> slapped around by Cat Stark. Yeah. yeah, I would think that in this moment, maybe he's like, I would rather die than be... Ra-. Can you imagine... What Jamie would think about being ransomed back back to his father's side under these circumstances? Yeah, he'd never live it down. Yeah, like I shit, I yeah, I 
I've tried several different types of living in my life, and none of them have been particularly successful. So he needs to talk to the hound. He All needs right. to talk to the hound because he's feeling suicidal. Yep. Uh, Lancel is nude in Cersei's chamber. Bow chicka wow. Uh-huh. Uh, she's reading a letter. Really downshifted from Jamie. Lancel has a tiny baby bird body. Like I, <laughs> Lancel looks like you know how like like Barbie has like Skipper her little and it, she's like the slighter girlish version and like I assume that Kin must have you know Jeffro or some. It's like I feel like he's the a more fragile. Yeah, he's the prepubescent version. version of a Kin doll. He's he's what. He's a Tim Burton character in this scene. <laughs> what? Like, like the just the long, skinny limbs. So if you put a black wig and strap some scissors to him, and he's Johnny Depp and Edward Scissorhands, is that what you're saying? Except skinnier, except thinner and frailer looking, and just like, I he looks like a lesser looks, member of the Twilight cast. Yes. Like the one you only find out about yeah, in the does. third movie when it's dramatically appropriate to understand yeah. some bullshit vampire plot. The one who turns into a bird. <laughs> Because <laughs> I—that's his vampiric Christ. gift. He, he, he really in... just looks like a, a kid here. Yeah, it's no. a little creepy. Yeah, I don't know how old he's supposed to be in this show, but not old enough, Cersei. Yeah, I can tell you that. Yeah, uh, and Cersei clearly has no use for him other than warming her bed. Right. She doesn't want to talk to him about this letter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what What does the letter say? Uh, I think it's that Jamie has been captured. Yeah. Because this is kind of like after we see, you know, they're talking about, oh, it's going to be war, and it's going to be so we go right to Tywin's council. Seems like they're all finding out about this. We're supposed to understand all at the same time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I mean, are there any implications here of her sleeping with Lancel? We know that Lancel's, what, a cousin? Right. Well, I mean, I guess it would be one thing if she took Lancel to bed after finding out that Jaime was a prisoner of war and he's not coming back anytime soon. That's still kind of you know, ooh, gross. Mm-hmm. But the fact that Jamie's just ro- roading off to war, this is supposedly the love of her life, and now she's right. like, I think I'm going to fuck his cousin. That's, yeah, it's that's kind of says, a one-sided thing here. And I know they tried to add a lot of dimension to Cersei successfully, but that's like, that's just, it fundamentally tells you the difference between what Jamie, you know, we've seen Jamie willing to murder a child to protect the woman he loves and, you know, the fact that she kind of yeah. means everything to him. And we already, I think this is a way to kind of suggest that that might be a little bit of a one-sided affair. Yeah, could be right. Uh, here's the other thing it does, I think. It kind of firms up this idea that Lancel might have been involved in the death of Robert. We we talked about the wine and how because maybe what, gave him too much. What or, coin could Cersei pay a young man with? Uh, I mean, gold dragon, sure, but, but he's already a Lannister, so what? Sure. Yeah, but, but uh, you know... I, I, I guess you want to fuck your hot cousin, queen cousin, maybe? I, this if is you're Game Lancel, of Thrones, I guess man. you do, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, I don't know. To me, like, their relationship, you know, being a little more intimate kind of says he had something yeah, to do with that. Yeah, I think that. you're right. I think you're right. All, okay. all those things. All right, we move on to Tywin's advisors talking about the bleak situation with the war. They're considering suing for peace, but Tyrion realizes that's a terrible idea. Um Smashes a cup on the ground, says, there's your peace. Mm-hmm. It says, peace, no peace, as he's pressed against the window. <laughs> pressed uh, against a wine glass. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tywin gets angry and sends everyone but Tyrion out of the room. He then compliments Tyrion's strategic thinking and sends him to King's Landing to be hand of the king. He also, in this scene, calls him my son, which kind of surprised me. 
because uh, I thought they had a pretty antagonistic relationship. Well, it's also, you know, it, it echoes back to his conversation with Jamie. Like, when he says, you're my son, does he mean, like, even even the lowest of my sons is yeah. still better than putting my brother, who might maybe have some, you know, some, some pretensions, some delusions of grandeur, mm-hmm. uh, it's to this elevated position. So yeah, like I think you so. know like like you being my son ruling as a hand adds prestige to my family whereas putting Kevin as hand of the throne would almost reflect our glory onto him and I yeah. don't want any of that <laughs> right so I I thought it was a pretty I don't think Tyrion realizes this because he's so fucking excited but this feels like a very political decision this is not a sudden although I I don't know like is Tywin really seeing Tyrion in a new light here or is he just saying it. Is he just seizing upon this opportunity where Tyrion has kind of shown some intelligence? Yeah, and Joffrey is completely, you know, and, and like to what extent does Tywin know, like how? I mean, you got to think that Tywin knows about uh, Tyrion's penchant for slapping around Joff and for yeah. being antagonistic. So he's like think so. also thinking, like, if I wanted to, the perfect person to keep these people in line until I can fucking put down this rebellion and get <laughs> back and sit on the throne myself. Uh-huh. Maybe it's maybe it's Tyrion, and maybe he is seeing him in a different light for the first time. Like, hey, he, you know, was clever enough to rescue his own damn self. Jamie can't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit of probably all. It's it's his, you know, calculations yeah. of how this looks politically, and a newfound respect for his drunken whore and son, and and also a test too, because he says, hey. All this can be yours. Uh, lay off the wine because he grabs the wine from him, and also don't take that whore to court. Yeah, he, he orders him not to do that. Uh, so there's one interesting thing I wanted to bring up here is the change in relationship between Joffrey and Tyrion. Uh-huh. Like maybe Tywin is counting on Tyrion, kind of putting Joffrey in his place and keeping him him under wraps here. But like he's the king now. Mm-hmm. Like before, he was the king's sure. son. He could take a slap or two and not be able to do anything about it, whereas right. now he could have Tyrion's head if he wants it. Well, not so, only that, but, like, the Kingsguard are sworn to protect the king from just such a physical offense. Right. Like, if the Kingsguard are going to let Tyrion run around slapping people, then <laughs> that's, like, regardless of what Joff says, like, you... Who do you, who do you think they're more afraid of? Joffrey? Like, if, if Tyrion goes to slap Joffrey, yeah. do they stop him and chop his hands off or something? Or are they so afraid of Tywin and his wrath that they maybe let it happen. Well, I mean, that goes back to how degraded this particular version of the Kingsguard is, because, right. like, uh, Kingsguard back in the Mad King's day wouldn't give a shit about Tywin. Yeah. Like, you go to try to slap the king, we're going to kill you. Uh-huh. We are fucking going to kill you, and that's all there is to it. These guys, uh, they slap 13-year-old girls. That's true. I think they might be afraid of Tywin. Okay. But... That's the. I mean, there's a reason that I wouldn't didn't really give a. I didn't really care about reading the books one way or another. I ended up reading at least the first two in between seasons one and two because I couldn't wait to see how that dynamic played out. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like I am not going to wait to see a whole fucking year to see uh, what happens when Tyrion comes to King's Landing because you're right. <laughs> it's easily the most. You, exciting you expect part. him just to be pimp slapping left and right, but he's pimp slapping a king. How's that going to work? Things have changed. Uh, Watch on. I guess all I got to say. The rest of them are headed up to Heron Hall to regroup. Right. Uh, That's where Tywin's going to kind of base himself. Uh, And I guess they're sending the mountain to set the Riverlands on fire as Mm -hmm. well, which he seems to be pretty good at. He's already kind of raping and reading around there. That's why Ned dispatched uh, 
the 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 men out to bring him to justice he's just essentially doubling down on that strategy yeah so danny wakes up in the tent that she went into she was she was taken into last episode yep she wants to know where her son is jorah tells her the son was a hideous monster and it died during birth it had dragon scales and fangs and red eyes i don't know what it had but it sounded blind leathery wings is full of grave worms yeah ugh uh, and Danny wants to see Drogo, so she goes outside to see that her Kalisar has abandoned her entirely, o- almost entirely. There are some slaves left and one or two blood riders of, of, of Drogo's blood riders, right? Mm-hmm. Or were they blood riders? I don't no, know. The, the one guy the, with the shorter hair. Yeah, no, they were more. They they were they riding. were not Cal Drogo's blood blood riders. They were kind okay. of like the people who were close to Danny. Okay. Uh, so Danny finds Drogo in the sun. He's alive, but not responsive. And the witch uses some flowery language here, some, some poetry to say he's never going to be like he was and that she did all of this on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, Danny's mad because she is thinks... Is it poetry language or is it a prophecy, Jim? I don't know. How do you tell the difference? <laughs> How do you ever tell the difference until well, it comes Well, when one's true? a witch that's cackling in the background, maybe it can be more prophetic than, you know, <laughs> fucking hot pie in in gin alley talking but <laughs> right. yeah i'm kind of you know it, it it that's that's always a fun thing to play is it is yeah. is this a throwaway sentence of prophecy or is this person essentially saying like in modern days if, if a thousand years from the future when germ the 23rd writes some epic thing about 20th century america mm-hmm. and some character says ha that'll happen when pigs fly there will be in in the reddit of the future people saying <laughs> oh well you know there's a pig in chapter 43 of right. the chronicles of the american empire uh i just <laughs> wait the- for it to sprout wings and fly like yeah uh, you know yeah, I, I don't know how much to read into it here. Uh, maybe maybe what's happening is the polarity of the planet is realigning here. The magnetic poles okay. are switching, and the, the, the Earth's going to... Or Earth, whatever planet this is, is going to turn the other way, and the sun's going to set in you the west. You need to flip more than magnetic poles. East. You need to flip the actual poles, man. <laughs> well, that would happen automatically. A planet the size That's... of Venus will smack into Westeros and... Uh... <laughs> Flip it up on its ass. I I don't I don't know. Then the stallion will mount the world. Right. Boom. Uh, I so we talked a little bit about this in the spoiler section about where do you stand on the Miri Mazdur situation? Did she architect this whole thing? You like don't care? all of this shit. I do not care about. Okay, not zero of it. Why? I'll, just I'll because she's dead. This. Just because she's dead at the end of the episode, so it is completely irrelevant. No, it's it's magical bullshit. I don't care about any of no, it. No, I'm not man. talking about the magic. I'm talking okay. about did when 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 Danny pulled her out of the streets from right. being raped three times already. We found out in this episode. Um. Did she decide I'm going to do use my medicine to kill this cow and his unborn child? And I don't think it happened then, but I do think she seized upon an opportunity. That's uh, yeah. when she was called upon to heal him to yeah right. take some revenge. Right. Okay. Well, I think I, she did it on purpose. And I don't even know. I kind of feel. I don't know. I guess it's. I, I think it. It is more like she's an opportunistic killer in the sense that she was trying to do the right thing up until. Uh, you know, Danny asked her to essentially raise the dead, and then she's like, "Okay, all right, if that's what you want." Knowing what the price would be paid and all mm. that, yeah. Um, so and even then, like she still told Danny to stay the fuck out of the tent, mm-hmm. and Jorah drug her back in there. 
the and she's trying to you know do necromancy in the one hand and deliver a child to the other. Yeah, I mean she didn't. I don't know. I feel like Danny got ripped off here. Oh yeah, uh, life life for death or whatever it, sure. whatever that line was. I thought it was the horse too, Danny. I'm with you. No, no, this, this like, is all very sprayed... monkey paws shit. But yeah. you know, there you go, Danny. Like uh, this is why you never trust a genie or a monkey's paw or any of that stuff because they're always gonna fuck you. Yeah. Or a real estate agent, or any like they're always going. <laughs> they're always going to fuck you, man. Okay, I like, I like the, the used car salesman, mundane jobs with genies and witches. Yeah, well, you just can't. You know, they're they're making statements. There, there's no fiduciary responsibility there. Merlin, the there's used no car gar- salesman, when yes. he tries to sell you that Dodge Dart, yeah, just, don't go for just, it. Just, just you know, grab the grab the sword out of the lake, and everything will be fine. <laughs> that's that's all you got to do. Oh man. Uh, I, I, I watched a behind the scenes documentary here, but, um, they were talking about Jason Momoa and his acting in this scene. He said he's not <laughs> acting actually. This is just what the state he went into when he realized he was off Game of Thrones. Ah, uh, <laughs> bummer. I was thinking that like, uh, I was going to try to make a joke earlier when you said you were so, uh, bored of the Cal Drogo plot line. I'm like, well, so was Cal Drogo. He just bo- yeah. died of boredom. Just stared off into the middle Doesn't distance. Doesn't have a Calisire anymore. I mean... Yeah. The Dothraki, they, they might be flexible on the whole, you know, cow that can't ride is no cow at all, but the cow that cannot even sip from a sippy cup is definitely no cow, and they've all fucked off, so. Who the hell drug him out there to that bluff? Oh, probably the st- fine-strapping young Doth, uh, Doth, Dothraki that stayed with Danny, like Jorah. <sighs> still be an effort. He's, yeah, sure. he's a big dude. Yeah, no, yeah. Jason Mimosa's got... But I think you and I could, like, carry Jason Momoa, Momoa if we were asked to. <laughs> Did you just call him Jason Mimosa? Yeah. Okay. I've, I've been randomly calling him that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I thought you heard me pronounce it that way and got sunstroke. things wrong. Maybe, ah. maybe he's just, he's got sunstroke and he can't move. Plus, he could just be in a fucking coma. Yeah. Like, you know, like, uh, I don't think that's, that's, that's how modern people would see a coma patient is like, hey, can you, are you still in there? Nope. Okay. Nope, here comes the mother. Pillow. Yeah. But, uh, whatever. She needed to buy, she needed to burn, burn I a body. Guess. Uh, so John takes a horse and he leaves Castle Black over Sam's protests. Uh, he just literally over oh, Sam's dead body. I, I, I do want to say because we're, we're making a lot of fun here, but I do yeah. think this is a pivotal moment in Game of Thrones. This whole what is life worth when all the re- this is a theme that Ed Ned Stark threw out last episode of like, do you think that I value my life so so highly that I'd give up my honor and all that? Like mm-hmm. I think Cal Drogo would say the same thing if you asked him like, hey. You know, you're going to give up all the things that you value in life, but you'll still be technically alive. He'd be like, this is this is hell. Yeah. And I think this is something. It's also a formative experience for Danny because Danny thought she did a good thing. Like she she got all, you know, like I'm going to keep people from being raped and all this. She couldn't even keep the person that she she couldn't even save the people that she'd saved. Right. You know, like it was yeah. already like this is kind of a harsh reality she has to face that. You know, even if you do war perfectly, innocent people are going to die and cities are going to be overthrown and burnt and people are going to be put through the sword that shouldn't have been. And I think this is kind of her coming to grips with that and which makes her burning this witch at the stake a little bit more darker on 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 second, third watch, I think. Hmm. Okay. Because, you know, from Danny's perspective, this is a person who is wronged by Cal Drogo has very, I mean, what would Danny do in Miri Mur, Mini, Miri Mazder's position? Uh, if she were, 
raped and taken as a slave. Yeah. And, and given her, the opportunity and, and, to strike back. Well, so I'm saying that essentially she was, right? Her yeah. house was destroyed and, uh, uh, you know, not literally, but like if someone had come and invaded her land and pulled down the temple to the gods that she worshipped and killed all of her family and then raped her, like I think she would do some kind of blood, fire and blood thing. So I, Danny's I mean, essentially kind all of... all of that has happened and they were on their way to right. come conquer Westeros because of it, right? Like, So I think it's interesting that Danny's essentially sacrificing a proxy version of herself here. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder... With, with no small that. amount of malice, too. Like, I think she says, like, I don't need your screams, just your death, which is, yeah. I think, mechanicalistically true. But I think she likes the screams. Eh, yeah, she's she's all right with the screams. <laughs> no problem. Uh, so John takes his horse and leaves Castle Black over Sam's protests. He's going to join up with Rob. You think, I like how Ghost sprints off after him here. Think he can keep up with a horse? Hmm. I feel like a horse could outrun a dog any day of the week. Yeah, it's like the whole, I don't know. Um, it depends on the distance. And I don't know who's sure. got the deal. Because I know a human can beat a horse in a marathon, but not a sprint. Right. Yeah, same with like a deer or whatever, right? Like yeah. An injured deer, that's how people hunt sometimes. Right, right. You can just you can just run them down to exhaustion because we yeah. can sweat and they can't. <laughs> right. All they can do is pant. Yeah, so I say, like a, like, so I don't know, like a dog. Like I know horses sweat and dogs pant, so could mm-hmm. a horse out out run a dog in short distance long distances i don't know i don't know either but that's what happens uh then we go over to shay who's mad at Tyrion uh for not taking her to king's landing and in the end you know they talk about it for a second in the end he invites her to king's landing despite his father's orders i don't understand this i think this, this is a silly decision by Tyrion. i think yep. I but a human think one. I know where it's coming from. Yeah. I think it's just his weakness when people show him any kind of affection whatsoever. Yeah. And it just so happens that the only people showing him affection are whores. And sellswords. And sell sure, yeah. People that are taking his money in right. each turn for protection and affection. And like, he mistakes that for genuine affection. It, it's hard to defend. It is super it, hard. It's, yeah. it's his uh it seems like it's uh, a big character weakness of his. Right, uh, com- completely understandable. I mean, he's starved for affection, right? Nobody, sure. nobody likes him. Yeah. Um, so I, I get it. At the same time, I just hate to see him make this this decision. No, it's 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 not something you feel good. Like you you want your heroes to be perfect, and they're not. Yeah. But this seems particular. I agree. A galling, like God damn, this is such a bad idea. Like you 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 spent this whole season yeah. talking about. What a hard ass and smart, well-informed person your father is, and you're going to do the one thing that he told you expressly not to do, just because right. this woman that you've met for like less than a week got all yeah. pouty on you when yeah. you said you no longer needed her services when he spelled out the terms of the contract. Like, yeah, I, I guess I just didn't quite feel the connection that he thought was there. Yeah. Um from Shay. I they didn't have enough screen time. They had that one scene where really it was all it all felt one-sided from Tyrion revealing himself. Right. Uh not so much like Shay revealing herself or or anything like that. So I I don't really know why there's such attachment here other than he just has a weakness for anyone who shows him affection whatsoever. And yeah. obviously it's a repeat an exact repeat of his previous marriage, right? This Sure. This uh, story he told last episode. Yeah. I think you're right on, and it is disappointing, but I think it's it's a human 
It's it's nice that he has this kind of big flaw that we can all see because otherwise, like Tyrion would almost be a Mary Sue level character. Right, he's, he's the smartest. Like like his big flaw is that he's a dwarf. Yeah, um, he's that short. still happens to you know out drink out out, out pussy and ever you know out yeah. think everybody else in the room. So that's a classic Mary Sue type of stuff. Right. Uh, so John rides away from Castle Black while several men on horses pursue him. One of them's clotheslined on a tree branch. He falls <laughs> off his horse, and John hears them screaming. When Sam's you say one name. of them, it's 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 Sam. It has to be Sam, <laughs> right? But I think we're meant to think that John is running from people, the guards sure. of Castle Black, who are trying to bring him back. Up until that point, yeah. up until they they start shouting, "Sam, are you all right?" That right. sort of stuff. And right. John hears it. He stops. And then these his friends surround him and start chanting his oath in his face until mm-hmm. he relents and says, "Fine, fine, fine." I'll come back. Jesus, This is the shit that works on a Stark, man. (laughs) Just reciting the vows that he's already taken are enough to, you know, return him to his place. I think it's really the sword that convinces him. When Mm. they hand him that sword and he looks at it after, you know, him spouting, them spouting the oath at him over and over. Yeah. I I think, you know, the the responsibility and the the trust that Gior has placed in him is what brings him back ultimately. And also his friends. And that's why I thought that what Jor says later about honor made you leave and honor brought you back. Uh, also, I didn't say it was your honor was so perfect. Like uh-huh. I don't think there's any more that needs to be said than those three. Those those that that you know the, that that three part coda on honor because it's exactly true. Yeah. Um, all of those things, like all the the type of person that John is, and everything about him, which is also encompasses the ability to be a leader, and that, that he's bound very tightly with this this his his class of brothers. All mm-hmm. those things are what causes to happen, and what makes it almost inevitable that he'd be brought back. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a pretty good scene. Yep. Uh, anyway, Danny, it's corny, but the yeah. fact that I, it, it still moves me it shows that it's yeah it's, it's effective despite the fact that yeah you're right it's just three guys. <laughs> <laughs> or three or four guys shout it's it's almost like a children's afternoon show like they're going to form captain planet here right you know yeah it's pretty silly they just the need flat they but... need some flashy rings and there you go they, they can you imagine it. having that happen in real life to you like you're just going to do something foolish and your friends get around you and start chanting like Oh, you you made this promise, Aaron. Uh, well, <laughs> you made this promise. I, I know you had a different experience, but trying to slowly leave a cult—it's kind of. <laughs> I yeah, had a yeah. lot. I had a lot of people cornering me and like, but uh, what of your vows and what of your, you uh, know? Yeah. No. Yep. They just—they didn't have a sword to give you. No. See, it's, if I had, you know, if I had a sweet ass Valerian sword, you need a totem to keep you in the well, yeah. organization. Yeah, might still be Jehovah's Witness, but there's no <laughs> swords. Despite what you've read on the internet, there, you're, there's no Valerian swords involved. Nope. Don't let them. Don't let them go to come to your door and tell you otherwise. There will be no sword. So Danny is washing Drogo. She pleads with him to come back to reality, and he doesn't respond. So she smothers him with a pillow. Just instantly, <laughs> boom. Fine. Yep. You're not going to talk to me. Take this. Yep. I mean, I feel like that we're supposed to understand that this is a torturous decision that she probably uh, like, obviously, like, yeah, like we're if making they stayed fun of in this fucking desert for one more day that everyone would die for Kalisar, and that's the. Pe- but yeah, that it, it also happens in the span of fifteen minutes, so it's kind of funny. Yeah, and I, I like to describe these scenes a little tongue in cheek. Sure. So, you know, t- take it with a dose of this is still really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Another kind of cool scene here that I like, the old switcheroo. Pycelle's in his chambers talking about all the kings he served and, you know, telling stories about them. 
as Roz the whore, who we saw, you know, is, is Littlefinger's employee, puts her clothes back on, and he forgets to have finished his initial thought about, you know, the thing you need to remember about kings. Right. And Roz is like, fuck this, I'm out. She leaves, and then Pycelle gets up and does some stretches, and he's bouncing around, and he gets dressed, and then he heads to the door, and before he leaves, he purposely hunches back over. Mm-hmm. Uh... Roz's vagina has fabulous healing powers, but very short duration. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. And they, they're delayed in their effect, too. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. It adds... Because we've been conditioned to think of uh, Pycelle as the, the bumbling old fool who's, pe- who's lived past right. his prime. Yeah. Um, and yet... And, and and Littlefinger and, and Varys are the real power, but I think they're here hinting that there's wheels within wheels, man. Like, he's playing yeah. his little game, and he, maybe he's playing it better than anyone. Yeah, to what end? Like, why... Why is it valuable for people to think you are more frail than you actually are? Why is it valuable for people to underestimate you? And physically, physically though. Oh, although I guess he's doing the mental. That's what I'm saying. Here. Like he's. He, he, I don't think he actually forgot what he was trying to no, say. This was all a ruse. No, I think he's uh, you know trying to maybe dip payment to the whore, if anything. But <laughs> uh, the, you know, gra- Grandpa forgot his, his uh, wallet and his other robes. I I, I don't know. Um, I think it's. I mean, I don't know. So everyone says like, oh, they're gonna oh, oh, underestimate you, and like that's such a huge. I've never quite understood that. Like I understand when people it's get an advantage, certainly. I suppose it's creating an you... artificial advantage, actually, one that you wouldn't have otherwise. Right, but it seems like it works best when there's actually military knowledge that you can manipulate. It's not like, um, you know, uh, I'm gonna go fight a eight year old boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I guess I'm properly – if he would say to his friends in the schoolyard, and again, I don't know why I'd be beating up this eight-year-old, but let's assume he really had it coming. He did. And I'm yeah. entirely morally justifiable, oh. not a jury would convict me, okay, just to stave off uh-huh. all the emails. But, like, if he was to talk amongst his friends, like, well, the key I have against Aaron is he's underestimating. No, I'm properly estimating you, you little shit, <laughs> which is one of the many reasons I'm going to beat you up now. I, what I, if it turned out he was, like – a 13 year old you thought he was an eight year old but he's actually 13 or he's a fucking dwarf he's from got Lord a of Rings body and he's gonna whip out too bad like yes then i could have uh, un- uh underestimated him but i yeah right. I, I, I that seems like something that the davids like to tell themselves when they're against the goliaths and nine times out of ten they get they get steamrolled here's the question i have which i think is equally as interesting Roz is an employee of Littlefinger. Sure. So Littlefinger obviously knows that Pycelle's whoring around, right? Right. I, I don't know if maesters are supposed to be able to do that uh, with their oaths or whatever they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but that seems like using Littlefinger's whores seems like a bad idea if you are on the small council with a man as tricky as Littlefinger. Well, but on the other hand, he keeps his illusion up. Maybe he know. I mean, that's the thing. Does he know? Like, I would think that I, he I, might want that word to get back to Littlefinger. That's what actually. I'm saying. Yeah. Like, I, I'm wondering if he's using this to his like. Oh, it's like, um, like if you, what's a clear advantage if you know your enemy has your headquarters mic'd. Mm-hmm. That's a huge advantage if you know about it before he knows you know. So this could be an example of he is again sowing the sense the seeds of him being decrepit and. 
useless and powerless. Like I, I, I'm not fully understanding what exactly this does, other than you know people, you know people treat like the same reason why Varys uses uh, children. People don't think about street urchins. Uh, What's his right. face made that point with with Arya this episode is like nobody gives a shit about some ba- base born child running around the streets. Mm-hmm. So Varys using them as spies. Uh, people also don't take in this universe seriously women or the elderly. So I guess if you really play up the fact that you're a befuddled old fool, people might slip and 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 say things and be unguarded in a way that they would if around the little finger of Varys. Okay. So I uh, yeah I guess it, it intensifying that act for his horse, so they'll report back. Oh yeah, this guy's decrepit. You know, uh-huh. he's a randy old man. That's all. Um, would be useful, but I, it's not immediately obvious to me why. Yeah, I just think I wouldn't be using. Little finger services. Like, what if he wants to kill you? The sending in one. Well, of I mean, his that's a question. Is like, what if you knew? What if you wanted to get your rocks off, but you knew that every whore in King's Landing is going to be under Littlefinger's employ? Right. Or if it not, that he could, he would know about. Uh, he he was he's involved enough to know the who got sent, and they could probably buy you off and and get the information from you. Like, I think that's just a reality. Like, yeah. all whores in King's Landing are owned by Littlefinger. Seems like it. Anyway, he's looking at the throne, Littlefinger. Uh, Varys comes up, and Littlefinger asks him what he would do with the throne. Varys says, I don't want it. They talk about what is or isn't between Varys's legs for a bit and then proclaim their admiration for each other until Joffrey comes walking in and they go to their small council meeting. I love that line of Varys. It's like, do you, uh, at night in your chambers, do you fear my gash? <laughs> yeah, it's so good. <laughs> Just the way uh, that Littlefinger, or not Littlefinger, Varys redirects all these these questions and this insinuation and just like all it just makes all the little yeah. jabs that Littlefinger is throwing. Varys it, it is makes Littlefinger look smaller and Varys look more badass. Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, because Littlefinger it. he doesn't Varys doesn't get rattled. Like you are yeah. not even the thousandth person to make fun of the fact I don't got no dick. Right. Right. Come on. Yep. Uh, there is a nice little move by Littlefinger here though because I feel like at the end you know Varys sees the king walk in and he bows and and Littlefinger. Um, you know, Vera says something about the king, and Littlefinger's like, "Long may he reign!" in a very like, very loud voice that jo- he's Joffrey is sure to hear. Sure, and then he spins around and does his little bow. He just like he's on the oh, spot yeah. with that flattery of the and, king. And you, you might on the first watch think that Varys is going to catch him and like, "Oh, he's behind yeah. me, isn't yeah. he?" But nah, Littlefinger's <laughs> not going to be caught. Nope, no way. Good stuff. Uh, and I I don't know that I buy the Varys doesn't want the throne either. Like, is that true? How do you feel about various intentions? You know here? what? I don't know. I okay. really don't. Um, that is a thing that he has asserted many times this season. And um, I, you know, this could be the sweet summer child in me, but I, I believe him. Like, I really, at the, in, in season one, okay. I really clearly did not like Littlefinger and didn't help yeah. that he fucked over Ned. But I also clearly liked and I, I respected Varys. Yeah. But I don't know his game. I don't know his plan. I don't either. All right, we go to Yorin explaining to Arya the trouble she's in and advising her on how to pretend to be a boy. Arya bumps into a couple of bigger boys who want her sword. She's ready to defend herself and maybe kill these kids before Gendry Gendry? Gendry comes mm-hmm. up and intimidates them. They run away, and then he notices Arya's fancy sword, and Gendry says, I'm going north with you guys because my master got sick of me, and they depart for the wall. Or they depart for the north. I don't know about the wall. 
Yorin's certainly going to the wall. I, I think Gendry's somehow got in this recruit recruiting class. Too. He has, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's, I guess, going to the wall just because his master's done with him, and he, what, he can't get another job? He's, I, I, I don't, I don't know exactly why Gendry's going. I up don't to the either. Wall. Honestly, I feel like that there was. Didn't Ned say something about he? In, in some of the last notes he was making, didn't he have something in there about getting uh, somehow protecting Gendry or getting him out? Or I, I, I don't. I really don't know. Um, I'm pretty yeah, sure I'm I could find sure. the answer, but I didn't even know to look this up. I didn't know that I, I, when I was watching it. It didn't. It didn't. It didn't pop up my matches. Like, oh shit! I don't remember why he's doing this and and what machinations are happening to protect him. Yeah, it might be just that. Like, this is a move to protect Gendry because we know that. But he's... who? That's what things like. I don't. I don't remember who or if that's right. even a thing or if. Uh... Well, it might be. So okay, if I'm his master, right? There have now been two people. Snoop poking their heads around. Two hands of the yeah, king. Like, I don't need this. Poking their heads around who have both died. I don't need this kind of heat. Yeah. Yeah. Get, get the fuck out of here, man. But Go to the is, wall. He's an apprentice, not a slave. So right. is I almost think that maybe Gendry is like, well, shit. I am a orphan in, of, or uh, I'm a bastard of Flea Bottom. Mm-hmm. My master is no longer taking me on as an apprentice. Uh, wants nothing to do with me. So I guess I'll just take the black. Why not? Three hots it seems a, three hots still extreme. I know, I know, but you why know, not? Maybe, and that's the thing. Like the 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 walls reputation down south is is not even what it is up north. Uh, so, yeah, it's. I'm, I'm sure there's an answer. I don't have it. I apologize. He's taking his bull helmet with him, though. He is taking his bull helmet. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, I'm thinking it's like the only thing he took. I'm thinking that this. I, I was thinking like, what is the significance of this? Because. You know, we know that he's a Baratheon, which mm-hmm. is a stag, and like you know, we've seen dogs and wolves and all this other. Like, is there? Are they trying to tell us something? This bull? I have no idea. It looks cool though. It does look <laughs> fucking cool as hell. I like to see him actually wear it. Yeah. Um. I I don't think Arya needed his help here. Mm. Honestly, nah. I think she carves these two kids up like. That, but I, that's why I thought it was super awesome because Arya had already backed them up and yeah. then backed right into Gendry, who's like, you know, I, I thought that's such a great line. It's like I pound, I I, I I hammer steel all day and it sings. Are you going to sing when I hit you? Like, yeah, that's real good. I wouldn't. That's the thing. Like, there's a couple people you don't want to fuck with. Um, blacksmiths. Yeah, blacksmiths are definitely in the school of like I don't care if you look like a fat tub of shit. I am yeah. not going to fuck with you. Because you do. You bang steel all day, and that has to make you hard. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Gior, another guy I probably wouldn't want to fuck with, reveals that he knows John left last night, and he says, eh, it's no big deal, because Honor brought you back. He talks about the possible uh, uniting of the factions north of the Wall and the monsters that are up there, and he tells John, we're going north to figure out what the hell's happening up there and to take on the Wildlings, the White Walkers, and whatever else is out there. And John goes with him. Yeah. Are you a brother of the Night's Watcher, a bastard boy who wants to play at war? Yeah. All due respect, sir, that's a false dichotomy, a classic <laughs> logical fallacy, and my my, my my life can't be reduced to these two options. <laughs> right. George says, what the fuck? He uh, says all that with his mouth hanging open? I don't he think does. So. Come yeah. On. He, yeah, he can't bring his teeth together. <laughs> um, he's going to have a hard time making teas. What? So I actually thought this, again, I, I'm super impressed with Jor because... Yeah. He kind of lets him off the hook, but then he puts it right back on him after he lays out the stakes and says, do you think your war is any more important? Do you think your brother's war is more important than ours? 
And like I think if at the end John feels both built up but also like properly put back in his place. Yeah. Like you like like you should feel an appropriate amount of shame and stupidity, but also kind of inspiration because this great man is going to forgive you and overlook it and still see your potential. Yeah. So good job, Jor. Yeah, I, I also like his line about um when he's talking about Ned. He's like, what, you're going to bring him back to life? I've had enough of that. Right. He's talking about the whites that tried yeah. to kill him yeah. just last episode. It was pretty good. No, pretty no, good it's, it's it's great. Like, sometimes the writing, and a lot of it's lifted, of course, from the books, but it really does, uh, for, uh, for all this, the shit it gets about the sex position, sometimes it just really crackles. Yeah. Anything else in that scene, or should nope. we get on? Uh, okay, Drogo's body, the witch, and Danny's dragon eggs are all burned on a pyre. Or they're all, you know, hanging out there. And Jorah's pleading with her not to sacrifice herself because he knows she wants to walk in. She just can't get enough of this. So it might be a little cold out. You know, it gets cold at night in the deserts. Sure. Uh, She's real interested in getting in on this fire thing. She frees the slaves who stayed and invites them to follow her and promises they'll hear their enemy's death screams. Then she lights the fire and listens to the witch scream for a bit before strolling right into the flames. Mm -hmm. Then the next day, Jorah finds Danny alive in the ashes, cradling her hatch dragons. So, dun, dun, dun. addition to her other crimes, uh, the wit of the witch, we also have to, we can blame her for inventing screamo. <laughs> what? There was music playing, I'm sure. Well, she was singing. It started off that way. Oh, she was. You're saying. right. Like, Chanting, a, yeah. It was a, a musical fusion here. Uh, so, yeah, like. This is an epic moment. This this uh, this very slight naked woman cradling all these dragons is mm-hmm. epic. And as, just, as epic as the Rangers riding in force. Danny's no Lancel. I, I think Danny's yeah, got some true. some that's true heft to her, which I like because yeah. she, it makes her feel more powerful. She she definitely looks like uh, you know even though she's she's short and unassuming, she does have a little right. bit of that like gymnast kind of uh, yeah. Uh, po- uh, personal power to her. Yeah, and, and it, it translates not only in you know her physical form, but in right. how she projects herself. I yeah, like that. and that's I think was interesting about the use of nudity with this character, uh-huh. and why I think that Emil Clark always like you know uh, there was some I I know that people made uh, well I don't want to talk about spoilers. She continues to get naked is what I'm trying to get to at. Um, but in this moment, it feels very different. Well, you can compare and contrast it to the first time that her yes. brother made her disrobe and get into the hot water. Right. And she was just, you know, almost like a cow being led to a slaughter. She just bovine and her mm-hmm. eyes were, you know, unfocused. And she just has this kind of idiot look of worry on her face to this where she's she's powerful and she knows she's powerful. Right. Um, and it's it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I have a lot of questions about, like, what made her go into this fire? How how much does she know here? Does right. She... We're going to discuss that in feedback. Okay. That that sounds good. Why but even... We... That's the thing. Like, I remember... I remember I, I remember the scene and, like, how epic it was. And yeah. the music is swelling and these dragons, like, the pitiful as they are, is flexing their wings and screeching. Yep. I didn't remember the other impression that I got this time, which is, my God, this Kalasar is pitiful. Like, oh, yeah. both numbers and makeup. and They're all, like, like former slaves, right? I, I, but, but when it zooms out, you get this long view of the whole. And, like, just, just yeah. I mean, you're talking, like, t- maybe 200 people? Uh-huh. Maybe? Oh, it's, yeah. Like, it's 
it's awesome, but also you see what an uphill struggle she's going to have. Right. Like, she, I mean, her mission has not changed. She wants to conquer Westeros. Mm-hmm. Now she's got an old disgraced knight, a couple of young Dothraki boys, uh, three newly hatched dragons, a pile of ash, and about a hundred old invalid former slave type people. Yeah. Uh, not not a great way to, to build it. <laughs> Nope, and that's where we leave season one. I, I think it's it's a pretty good end to this season. Yeah. It gets us psyched. Yeah, no, to- totally. It did, did its job for making season two seem like it would never get here. Uh, so this is a part of the podcast where we do advertising, and, and nobody wants to listen to this. This is like no. uh, Joff parading the severed heads around. Like you don't wanna, <laughs> you don't wanna look at your dad's head and your septa's head, but he gonna make you. Yeah, uh, we're going, we're going to make you listen to the ads because uh, we need your support. And there's a couple ways you can do that. One is going to club.baldmove.com. You can sign up for a low cost, and you get tons and tons of, of, of premium features, including ad-free feeds and VIP sections of forums and extra content that we record on a weekly basis just for our club members. Uh, particular interest right now is our first-run movies. Uh, we've been doing a lot of them. The spoiler-free reviews are free if you want to hear the spoilers of these movies that we go see, like we're seeing Snowden this week. What did we see last week? Sully? Sully, yeah. Uh, we got some big ones coming up. Uh, the Doctor Strange, Star Wars in December. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want our spoiler-filled one, uh, reviews, you have to uh, be a club member. Uh, also, you can pay the Amazon price, the copper price, by going to amazon.baldmove.com. And that really helps. We derive a surprising amount of our funding through Amazon Affiliate links such as that and all you got to do is remember to go to amazon.baldmove.com it doesn't cost you anything you just have to put the bald move between the amazon and the dot com and uh we get a teeny tiny cut of whatever's in your cart when you check out and it doesn't cost you anything doesn't change any of your shipping uh your product availability nothing it's just all amazon with some love for bald move preloaded into your cart and uh however you choose to support us we appreciate it because we couldn't do it without you uh, one other thing I want to mention, because I know we don't have a lot of opportunities to talk before we lose the, a large portion of the Game of Thrones audience uh, till next year, and uh, the good folks at the Rocket City NerdCon in Huntsville, Alabama, have invited us to be uh, featured guests at their NerdCon, and we would be remiss not to tell you about this party that they are, that they are throwing in uh, honor of the nerd. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you like Game of Thrones, you like Walking Dead, you like science fiction, fantasy, comic books... Uh, you will probably like RocketCityNerdCon.org. It's in the South. I know a lot of times uh, in, in Geek Mentions, there's not, there's a lot of bemoaning the fact that there's not a lot of cool things that happen down in the South. But well, here's one of them. Huntsville's a cool city. Uh, it's happening October 22nd through 23rd this year. 25 bucks for the weekend pass, $15 per day. Jim and I are going to be down there. We've got several panels that we're hosting and headlining. We got a booth where you can meet our giant Matt Damon face and meet and gre- and or greet us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can meet us or you can greet us. You can't do both. If it's a greet, just do the drive by. If you want to meet us, don't say hi. Just start talking. Um, I think that's how that works. Uh-huh. Oh, it's meet and greet, not or. Sorry. Meet like lunch meets? No, no, no. Oh. Uh, one of the cool things we're going to do though. A particular note to Game of Thrones fans is we're going to play a version of in front of a big audience. We're going to call it volunteers and play a version of like Mafia or Werewolf. 
uh, with a, a red wedding theme, which is going to be super exciting. Me and Jim are going to be in character, and we're going to try to be as funny as possible. We'll see what happens when we try to be funny. A lot of times the podcasts were accidentally funny. Like we don't we don't come up with para, paraplegic brand getting force fed. <laughs> br- uh, 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 what what do we do? A uh, beef broth? We don't, that's yeah. not something we actually write. That's just shit that happens organically. Probably when you rewrite it down, it's going to be disaster. Wait, this is supposed to be an effective ad. I'm sorry. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be hilarious. It's going to be well worth your time. Uh, go to Huntsville, Alabama, October 22nd through the 23rd. RocketCityNerdCon.org if you want to get tickets or general information. Follow them on social media. Hope to see you down there. All right, why don't we get to the feedback? Uh, first up, Cody S. What are the chances that Ned would have followed through on taking the black and not instead have gone back to Winterfell? And or to Rob's army ASAP and hold up there and wait for Baratheon nope. allies against the king, nope. king inbred. A hundred percent, he goes to that wall. That's I mean, he's too honorable not to. He's going to keep his end of the bargain. Yeah, like some alternate universe uh, evil Ned Stark. Uh-huh. In this case, would not have a goatee. Right? <laughs> He'd be yeah. clean shaven. Maybe mm-hmm. he does something like this, but there's nothing in Ned Stark's character would that would say that had his enemies kept their word that he wouldn't have kept his. Yeah. Hundred percent, he goes to that wall. Um, I, I think. I think if Cat and Rob and every one of his child rode up to him and said, "Please, Father, please don't take the black," uh-huh. he'd still be like, "Well, I said I would." So, <laughs> bye. Yeah, <laughs> like literally, you're surrounded by leagues and leagues of your loyal bannermen, and they all want you to be king. He'd be like, "Well, yeah, but I just, I already said, I already said I wouldn't." So that's yeah, in the I've story. already forsaken my honor once today. Yes, yes. I'm not going to do it again. Right. Right. Uh, so I guess that's the counter argument is that, uh, you know, he broke the seal on his honor. Oh, now all bets are off. Now it's going to be, well, I mean that, and that is true. I think that's true. The first transgression is always the hardest. Oh, I agree. It's easier. And that's why like a lot of crooks get caught because you know what, once you got on after careful thought and deliberation and desperation, you becomes routine and then you get sloppy and Uh, I would argue maybe this is the second transgression. Oh, because I mean, Jon Snow. Seems to be a transgression. Uh, right. The whole, yes. like, don't ask questions about right. even the, my wife and children. And, yeah. He comes back with this bastard child. I mean, yep. come on. Yep. Take it, cat. There's not it. a lot of honor in that. True. Uh, so, Jim W. says, I have been wondering about Eddard's final proclamation to the High Septon and Baylor, the Blessed, that Joffrey is the one true heir to the Iron Throne. Aaron mentioned the podcast, and Ned had forsaken his gods in the end. This is kind of like a slightly more nuanced version of uh, the earlier email from Cody. Um, Do you think Ned would have done this on purpose? While his primary reason for his proclamation is to save his daughters, he also thinks he'll live through this confession for a sentence of life on the wall. He also knows that most people in King's Landing follow the Seven and would accept or even expect a confession made in the name of the new gods. Knowing this, I think he may have made this proclamation under the guise of the Seven rather than his old gods. In doing so, he's not really proclaiming <laughs> Joffrey as the one true heir. It's his way of telling a lie while effectively crossing his fingers behind his back. Right. Uh, so, again, does this sound uh, like I don't the know Ned, if I buy it. That Ned Stark we know? That is Ned Stark the kind of guy who would stand up there, give a confession with his fingers crossed? I don't think That's so. That's a little finger move. Yeah. Uh, N- Ned has enormous fingers. It's a fair point, but I don't think that's yeah. what's going through his head. Agreed. Uh, Michael W. says, Back in 2013, KR, uh, KCRW uh, broadcast and podcast an interview with the Double Ds on the treatment hosted by Elvis Mitchell. 
In this interview, Benioff and Weiss talked about producing the first season and some of the difficulties they faced. One of the problems they had with the show was in regards to the runtime of each episode. Halfway through production, HBO informed them that they were coming up short with some of the episodes, sometimes as much as 20 minutes short. And all they had to come up with 93 more written pages to fill in the gaps, according to HBO, uh, uh, throughout the season. Since they were at this point already out of money in their budget, they had to cut battle scenes and write new scenes with just two people in a room talking. Now, I'm going to post this link because huh. I thought it was fascinating. I'd never heard it before. Let's go back to the Whisper Willow Woods yes. battle. Apparently okay. that was going to be a more fully fleshed out thing. Also, uh-huh. there, they talked in depth about how they ima- the, the scene for Tyrion... When he goes into battle, was that everyone is going to be like, stay close to the mountain. And they had this whole choreographed thing where, oh, like, man. Tyrion is staying close to the mountain, and the mountain's this whirling dervish of death, and they just shortened it to him getting hit in the face with a hammer and blacking Damn out. It. So, and this is where a lot of this sex position, but, right. but they said also that one of these pages was the scene between Cersei and King Robert that we. Huh. Really okay. highly valued. Yeah, um, you know, there's a lot of sex position shit, whatever. But there was a, a couple of these scenes that were really, really good. Uh, and by having to scale back their ambitions and and invent these things, they they came across some like you know real moments of character truth. Okay. So, but no, I thought that's this is a super interesting interview. Um, and I'll post the the, the link to it uh, in the show notes. And thank you, Michael, for bringing it to my attention. So, I thought that was interesting. I just assumed. That they always skip the battles uh, because, you know, battles are not they, – they're interesting to get your blood pumping, but they actually usually don't move the plot forward oh, right. as much sure. as the result. Someone yeah, won, yeah. someone lost. So, uh, Carrie says, I was expecting some conversation in the rewatch about the dismissal of Barristan Selmy by Cersei Joffrey. It seems that he has the highest respect, honor, and loyalty of the crown of any Kingsguard that they would – and that they would want to keep him in service. My question is why dismiss him? Why they did they sense the hesitation in him when Cersei ripped up Robert's decree? Ultimately, even if he did have reservations, he followed the king's orders. Did they know that he might not go along with some of the things being planned? Although it was Joffrey, not Cersei, who wanted to kill Ned, so if that's the reason, it seems like it was Joffrey's decision, and Cersei went along with it because they were wanting to surround themselves with more Lannisters and make way for Jaime to be the big cheese. Would this have happened if Tywin or even Tyrion were there? So... Wants to delve a little bit into the motivations about why they dismiss Selmy. Um, do you have any thoughts? Because I've got like one or two. I mean, my first thought is, I I don't think it's a bad idea if you know somebody's so honorable that they won't go along with something dishonorable that you want to do, regardless of whether you're and the you're king the Lannisters probably planning fairly a, a lot of dishonorable things. Right. Uh, I think it's a good idea to get rid of them. I I imagine that's where they were coming from. Yeah. I mean, but on the other hand, this guy served under the Mad King. This is the guy who stood, uh, actually, I don't know if he was in the room. Uh, he might have been off with Rhaegar fighting. But he, he potentially, all the things the Mad King did mm-hmm. leading up to the deaths of um, the Stark the, the Stark men that went to go uh, beseech him on behalf of their sister. Like, this guy served through all that. So maybe they know that he doesn't view Joffrey as the rightful king. Huh. Maybe he views Stannis as the rightful king, much like Ned did. That could, and, and if, that he if, would serve the rightful king, not yeah, the king on the uh, throne. Yeah, that's a good point. My other point is that I think that this is a little bit of just a nepotism. Sure, like Joffrey yeah. wanted his man, who's been his man since he's been a boy, the Hound on the King's Guard. Yeah, and that Cersei wanted Jaime because long term, 
you know, Jamie being the Lord Commander of the Kingsguard is going to let him into her chambers, you know, yeah. pretty much at will. He doesn't have a tiny bird body. Yeah, and he doesn't have the tiny bird body. He's got the magnificent Jamie Lannister body. Right. Uh, and face and hair. Uh, not that I'm attracted to him, no. Uh, I've never thought about what his silky embrace would be like. But, uh, yeah, no, I think it was just like Cersei wanted Jamie and Joffrey wanted the Hound. So they're just like, how can we make this happen? Bada bing, bada boom. Yeah, it's all mixed up in there. I mean, that's all of the stuff that they mentioned in the email is yeah. exactly, I think, what they're going for. Yep. Okay. What else? Um, Doug L says this week in the podcast, you have discussed the tactical stronghold of the twins and the high price that Rob has to pay the phrase to use his crossing. I felt the chill run down my spine as soon as this email started. Cause I knew what it was going to lead to build a second bridge. God damn it. Uh, you joked it'd be easier to build another bridge to avoid the ill-fated deal that ultimately leads. Uh, well, can't say that because it's a spoiler. Don't say it would take too much time. However, I know that there is a much easier way. As the, both the book and the show have demonstrated, the easiest route from Winterfall to King's Landing is straight down the King's Road, and many a character takes this path through the, uh, uh, in the story. Oh, see, I assumed that that was the King's Road. That that was like the only road. Yeah, it's actually not. It's really? actually not. According to the map in the front of all my books and in the first five maps of Westeros on Google Images, the King's Road goes nowhere near the Twins and indeed involves a completely unnecessary detour off the beaten track to actually get to. Hmm. Okay, I'm going to confess, Doug, that I don't understand this either. And I've read, I spent, because I remember that bothering me too, because I'm like, what the fuck? Um, if you need to get the beat a, beat a, a, a line to King's Landing, obviously the King's Road is the way. And so there, I'll, I'll tell you what the, the common answers are and if they're persuasive to you or if you want to read further than whatever. But I just like, you know, let the matter rest. Number one, the King's Road goes through the neck, which is this really swampy, marshy terrain. It's notoriously difficult to go through, especially with a large army. So it's imagine like you can fit a wagon or maybe a train of wagons through, but 20,000 men, um, hmm. you know, it's one thing to cross and a bridge, but if you had to march for 50 miles single file like that, imagine what a what a nightmare that would be logistically. And again, swampy, like all those feet turning that shit in the mud. Mm-hmm. Um, the other explanation is that uh, that that Rob maybe wanted to veer a little bit west to bring the Westerlands and directly threaten Casterly Rock, or at least make Tywin think. Hmm. That he was was planning to do that, so Tywin couldn't just commit his forces to the central part of Westeros and 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 cut off Rob. But honestly, like I, I mean, I have to trust the the the, the, the tacticians of the A Song of Fire uh, <laughs> subreddit and the Wiki of Ice and Fire because that's what they say. But if hmm. you just look on a map and you ignore the terrain and what the the books say, then it does seem like you could just march right up. And mm-hmm. not have to worry about crossing the the trident at the at the twins. Okay. So, uh, yeah. If, if, if again, make that of what you will. Uh, David T said, "Would be interested in hearing your individual takes on how e- you each chose to ingest what is Game of Thrones canon and what is not, particularly with regard to lore, backstory, and subtext." If I can draw parallels to Star Wars and the shit people love to swallow as canon based on what they read in the expanded universe, Wikipedia, mm, etc. Tales of the Bounty Hunters. <laughs> to me, if something wasn't mentioned or didn't happen on screen, it just didn't happen, as I don't accept some random fan's version of events in the Star Wars universe. The difference, of course, with Thrones is that the TV show watchers, like myself, 
have the vast amount of bonus material in the Blu-rays to fill in the gaps. Hence, I choose this material as canon as opposed to books, which it what? I know this is a really convoluted canon strategy he has in his head. I think so. From the podcast, I get the feeling that Jim may buy his canon the same way I do, kind of ignoring book material altogether. I mean... No, I so I use the books to fill in the gaps where the show just doesn't doesn't have the information. Like, right. I, I will always... Like, if someone comes up to me and says, oh, this is the canon of the Game of Thrones story, right. or the Song of Ice and Fire story, right? I will say, you are absolutely right. That is the books. That is the canon. Mm-hmm. Now... I haven't read those books, right. and so for me, all I can do is go by the TV show, but right. I will always defer to the books. Okay. Uh, I'm actually evolving a little bit more nuanced view of this, is that I think that since the books are plunging ahead, ahead or this, with this unprecedented situation mm-hmm. of the show plunging ahead ahead of the books, that now you have essentially two versions of canon, okay. and they might mutually contradict Two different stories in the same universe. Yeah, yeah. it's essentially <laughs> like alternate timeline. You've got the, you've got a, you've got an Old Testament New Testament situation where you know, like the Jews and Christians are cool until Jesus shows up, and then it's like, hey, now wait a minute, or yeah, no, this is the like I I mm. I see like some of this stuff as being kind of unavoidable um, because of this kind of never happening before. And you know, Star Wars, it was easy. Like they they had like Lucasfilm themselves had a canon where it's like. The novelist, the, the 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 movies are canon, and so are the novelization of the movies. Mm-hmm. But then everything else below that, all the video games and stuff, are canon unless they are directly contradicted by the other material. Right. So to me, you know, that's where you had a whole bunch of like, well, you know, did but is Boba Fett dead or alive? Is he the you know character from the movies? Is he the character from Tales from the Bounty Hunters? Is he the complex Mandalorian lone wolf honorable warrior that he later became? Like who the fuck knows? And now that and you have the same problem. J.J. Abrams wadded that stuff and thrown it away and like taking cherry picking bits and pieces out of it. It's even more complicated. But mm-hmm. I, I honestly think in the future that you're going to have show fans and book fans and they're going to argue about this stuff all the time because there is a lot yeah. of significant changes in characterizations and even events. And and right. not... that's where I think you run into the big canon problem. Right. Is changing like what characters do what yeah. and when it happens and all that kind of stuff. It was because one... then it's two different stories. Sure. And it's it was... not even just filling in the gaps. And it's one thing when we had what I used to call, you know, Martin's Razor, where you would have like three different characters in the books merged into one. Mm-hmm. Because that's like, okay, that's that's something you can, it's like, a, you know, a, you can hold a prism up to and separate it into its constituous parts of the rainbow and say, okay, well, right. you know, nothing different happened. It was just a, who was the agent that made the action happen. Now, where they're just completely off the page and trying to sort of steer towards an ending that George has hinted at at some level of depth, mm-hmm. I, I don't see how they cannot violate things that George is going to later, you know, contradict. And that's a completely different thing. Yeah. That's not a decision they made as an adapt as people that adapted a work. That's that's just them stumbling in a dark hallway. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? Like I again, I'm not aware of this happening to any other kind of series. So I, I guess like if somebody comes up to me and says, like like let's say okay, you you've read all of the books, mm-hmm. you've seen all of the show, and this is after it ends. So both of the works are complete. All the books have been written. All the show has been filmed and right. aired. When someone comes up to you and says, what do you think of this story? What is your tendency? Do you, do you default to the books? 
because that's what Martin wrote? Do you default to the series because that's what was finished first in all likelihood? I, that's the thing. Like, I kind of think so. <laughs> uh, if I'm trying to look in my own soul, I will say that I'll probably consider whichever I consider whichever version I think is superior as the canon. Okay. <laughs> Uh, right. which I think will probably be the books, and I don't mean superior in, like, a completely objective way. I mean, like, just in a way that I think the books are still slightly better than the show because mm-hmm. they're a deeper, richer, if you right. like the political intrigue, you get more of that in the books. Uh, but if the show ends up being more satisfying and more straightforward, I could consider, and especially since it came out first. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, if you got the situation where all else being everything else being equal they're kind of the same then do you give it to the one that came out first because that's well i give it to the one most closely originated from the author from the creator of the world which is why i default to the books because i think yeah to me that is more representative of the idea of game of thrones or a song of ice and fire because it came from the author and the world builder right well it's interesting because i read i watched the show first and then I read the books. So in, when I was reading the books, I was seeing Sean Bean and <laughs> right, yeah, you know, uh, uh, Kit uh, Harrington and mm-hmm. all these characters, Amelia Clark, all, all of them as these characters, um, yeah. like just never in a doubt in my mind. And it's interesting because I got later into books, and, and you know, I, I didn't supersede it. And then I started having like serious opinions of like, well, this isn't my blah blah blah. And I started joining the book readers that were nitpicking the some of the casting. Uh-huh. So like. It's weird because to me, I pro- that tells me that I was treating the 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 show as a primary source, even yeah. as I was reading the books, until right. I got to the point where the books superseded and then it became the primary source. So mm-hmm. I kind of think, in a weird way, I want to see the show as a primary source because it's going to be the first <laughs> version of the truth, right? So I'll have to have severe problems with that before I'll. I, but I, that's just a guess. Who the hell knows? Sure. I want to say that, yeah, I'll always think of the books because that's Martin and it's his story and it's his idea. But mm-hmm. shit, man, you had a decade to you know finish this thing off and he didn't. So do you abdicate the throne a little bit? Maybe. What's the laws of succession? Where's the double D's in? <laughs> right. Does Martin have a brother we can get in right. here? Right. It turns out his great-great-grandfather was a buddy of his in the Civil War with the – yeah, so who knows. Uh, Kaylee. So I was listening to your episode 9 podcast and your discussion of why Jorah would take Danny into the voodoo tent so the witch God's wife could deliver the baby. On the initial watch, this confused me too. However, thinking about it, what if Jorah did this because he didn't want the baby to survive? By this point, his allegiance presumably lies with Danny, and he knows the King Robert has already tried to kill her, so clearly King's Landing sees her as a threat. She would have a much bigger target on her if she didn't have a baby to continue her bloodline, uh, especially a baby boy. King's Landing would definitely want to kill her more if she did have this baby. By taking her into the tent, Jorah had plausible deniability. He didn't actually kill the baby or anything and could say he didn't know what else to do. But considering the creepy shit going on that tent with the warning that no one was to enter it as well, he could make a good guess that the baby was not going to survive all that. Uh, what do you think of this theory that Jorah was like uh, needed to get rid of the, the baby and the baby mama before, you know, I have a couple questions. A, do they know Robert's dead? That is a very fine question that I don't know the answer of. Probably not at this point. If they don't know that Robert's dead, I think it lends maybe a little more plausibility to to that uh, influencing his decision a little bit. Right. If they know that Robert's dead, then there's no reason to fear retribution from Westeros, I think. Sure. Um, And I, I, I think this is 
if if that is Jorah's intention, I think it's maybe a foolish move because without the child and without Drogo, uh, Danny doesn't have any power. She doesn't have this army to protect her from any retribution that might come from Westeros. Right now, well, she's, she's got all Jorah. Alone. I mean, this is a, it's no longer a wholesale transaction; it's retail. Like she's got Jorah. Well, I Jorah mean, is good yeah, as if, the, if, they flee, the if they flee into the Shadowlands, which is mm-hmm. essentially beyond the, the you know the reach of anybody. Right. Like, he's just a sellsword protecting a single girl that no one really gives a shit about. Yeah, until she busts out of dragons and goes, I'm the Khaleesi! Well, because he didn't know the dragons. Motherfucker, bow down before me. Uh, yeah, but you're you're <laughs> acting like he knew the dragons going to be born. That was clearly a shock I to mean, him. he's seen Danny's uh, proclivity toward proclaiming how powerful she is okay. in the face of anyone who challenges her. So it's going to be hard to hide Danny, I think. So... When I got this email, I started off with, like, well, kind of a Ned dismissal. Like, this guy's an honorable man. He wouldn't do that. But the thing about Jorah is he's complicated because he, is, he yeah. became a slaver for the love of a woman mm-hmm. by his own admission. So would he kill an unborn child to for the love of a woman? I mean, I don't think so. I think he's kind of like in a situation where Danny got flung to the ground. Her baby was coming. He didn't know what to do with, with babies. and <laughs> right. I don't know. He said, seems... "Oh, a baby! Get it out of here!" Get, yeah, get... there wasn't anyone in this hundred thousand strong Kalasar that knew anything about birthing babies. At I guess this point. not. Yeah, it's just the witch or nothing. Um, maybe he thought that uh, the Drogo's blood riders would put a kibosh on the whole thing. I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I just personally discount the theory that he did harm to Danny's baby by any kind of action or inaction. Because I think his love of her would encompass her love for her unborn child. Yeah. So. And her desire to take Westeros. I mean, he's essentially destroying that opportunity if he kills his child, right? I guess. But again, like, I don't know how calculated this decision is supposed to be. Right. Because if you want to protect her, like, keeping her from invading Westeros is job number one. Like, <laughs> okay. convincing her to go lead a quiet life of wealth and... Your opulence and if you just want her to survive, but if you want her to accomplish her goals, right? And again, again, like what kind of man do you think Jorah is? Right. So, uh, and he himself muddies that water. So, so I guess the answer is I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Julian F. I just watched the season one finale and have some questions for you, but mostly about the end. Do you think Danny knew that she wouldn't burn, and do you think that she Here knew the go. dragons would hatch, or was it just a hunch that she had? What do you think, just from a show watcher's perspective? Because I actually found a nicely answered question on Quora, of all places. Oh. Hmm. From an uh, uh, internet user named Nick Yee uh, that had some quotes from the books that I think shed some light on that. But what do you, just from a show watcher's perspective, what do you think? So here's the thing I think Danny knows that she will not burn in this fire because the scene right before she walks into this fire is her saying, uh, everybody follow me. Like, you're all free, but you're going to follow me, and I'm going to give you the screams of your enemies. Mm-hmm. And then she walks into the fire. Now, right. if she was not sure that she would come out of that, or at least had a pretty good idea that she would come out of it, a feeling, right? why give this speech before she does this? And they also... She implies that she's going to survive this. Well, so With the steaming hot bath and her fishing the dragon egg out of the fire that burnt her slave right. girl, like, those, these are and all... And having this, like, dragon-style baby, like... And she also, the reason that her slave girl got burnt is because she was shoving her dragon's eggs in the brazier to begin with, which, right. you know. Why what, was she doing that? Why was she doing all that? You know, that's, <laughs> yeah. a, that's, if she's you, got some gut feeling here that 
I don't think she quite understands, but it's leading her. And, and if you read the history of the Targaryens, there it's replete with people trying to hatch dragon eggs or bring about dragons or become dragons by doing crazy things like throwing themselves in a fire or drinking wildfire, setting their right. fucking summer home on fire, all kinds of things with fire. So as a Targaryen, I'm sure she has heard her brothers tell her brother tell stories about that. So that might be like something that she would do. Yeah. Uh, do you want to hear from Nick here? Sure. He says in the book, A Game of Thrones, it's implied that Daenerys had a strong suspicion that this or a similar ritual is needed to hatch the dragon. Relevant quotes. Uh, when Daenerys orders Miri Mazdur to be tied to the pyre, Daenerys says, it's not your screams I want, only your life. I remember what you told me, only death can pay for life. Mm-hmm. That's pretty strong that she yeah. expected something to happen from this experiment. Two, she had experimented placing the eggs on the brazier earlier in the book. She guessed that she needed bigger fire. And the quote is, she had sensed the truth of it long ago. Danny thought as she took a step closer to the con- conflagration, but the brazier had not been hot enough. So she thought she was on to something. She just needed a bigger fire. And he says it's also not clear whether she intended to actually walk into the flames. In the book, it's implied that the fire seduced her to walk into the pyre. And he quotes, Sir Jorah was shouting behind her, but he did not matter anymore. Only the fire mattered. The flames are so beautiful, the loveliest things that she had ever seen. So... His conclusion huh. is that she meant to do something like this, but maybe in the end she didn't. Uh, she didn't think that the fire. Uh, that she wasn't thinking about climbing on the fire. She's going to have the eggs there, and the witch is going to die, and it's going to hatch them. But then she, you know, Targaryen crazy took over, and she decided to jump in at the last minute. <laughs> okay. And the thing Sounds is, I think all this stuff is supported in the show too, because yeah, they yeah. showed the brazier experiment. They showed her continually kind of showing a resistance to fire. I think you can kind of put the two and two together. Mm-hmm. That's it for non-spoiler. We still have. A fairly robust spoiler section, and we're running long anyway, so shall we cue up the music and get in, get on to it? Yeah, let's do it. If you want to send your feedback for, I guess, the recap we're doing next week? We are doing a season one recap, where okay. we're going to talk about differences from books to the show in a non-spoiler format. We're going to talk about um, just any final thoughts, and I don't know whether it could be a 10-minute episode or it could be another two-hour. Who knows? But uh, it's tradition, so we're going to do the wrap-up podcast. Yeah. So get at us on forums.baldmove.com or send your emails to Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. And if you're interested in spoilers, we'll see you after the music. If not, see you next week. And until then, I'm Jim. Well done, Aaron. And we're back with the spoiler section. What do we got? Uh, so we talked about Rickon having a touch of the green sight. Okay. Yeah, in, we can in, talk all about that now, huh? <laughs> yeah. In the books, all of the Stark children, except for maybe Sansa, have some sort of, as you're a reader, you understand that they have a connection, a psychic connection to their wolves. And it, I forgot how many instances in the first season where they kind of play with that. Yeah, but it seems like they quickly discounted it because um, I mean, there, and there's an early scene in season two where Rob's leading his men in the battle where they shoot something through the POV of his wolf, and then they show his like kind of suggesting that maybe he's seeing things through the eyes of his wolf, and that's why he's got such unnaturally good battle instincts because he's essentially using his wolf as a scout. Hmm. Okay. But 
there is in, in the books there's Arya having dreams about Nymeria and you know uh of course you've got all the stuff with Bran that that, that kind of goes down. John has a lot of wolf dreams about ghosts. Uh and in the show they don't really do any of that. They don't even use ghost as a way to store Jon Snow's consciousness when he's dead. Like right. they just abandon that idea. Uh what do you think about that? I mean, I haven't read the books. Is that so, just narr- is that just Martin Martin's razor where they're just like this ultimately like the greatest fulfillment of this plot might be ghost being used to bring back Jon Snow. What if we just mm-hmm. bring him back? And also like Arya might have a connection to Nymeria, but what if we just make her an assassin run around in Riverlands? Like they could just be like, "Hey, this was awesome, but we can simplify it and we can cut 20 minutes out of her you know, yeah, how but, much does it really matter? Yeah, that you can see through a ghost eyes, or or that or all any the Stark the children have some kind of wolf connection, like right? Unless there's an impact on the story, exactly. Who cares? That's just um, more co- surface detail to to that you can enjoy as a book reader. Yeah, and maybe there's so much of that in season one because they needed 93 more pages or whatever, right? Uh, after the fact, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, to me, I haven't felt like oh that's a thing missing like the connection to the dogs in these six seasons right uh everything else has been pretty good so um so have you seen you've seen the the famous internet um photoshop of like the scene in on the hoth base where leia's kissing luke the cheese off han and they photoshop uh obi-wan kenobi's ghost in the background going oh like (laughs) that Um, I felt very much that same emotion when I was watching Theon say, am I your brother now and, and always? Like, that's really fucking tragic. Like, the Starks <laughs> almost instilled enough honor and integrity into him that this was going to be a net good, but we know what happens eventually, and that's all terrible. Do we know what happens eventually? What are you talking about? I mean, the fact that he Just betrays Rob because he goes to his family and he's he's got a choice between whether he wants to stand by his quote-unquote brother or yeah, make his father that. that he probably doesn't even remember. That's proud. Season two, season yeah, three. Yeah, it happens in season two. I think yeah. it's a betrayal. I remember very little of two and three. Okay. Well, that's why we're going to have to eventually do a rewatch, Jim. <laughs> yep. So I thought that was just like, oh, God, this, you know... That's it's the only brother that's standing beside him, and he's gonna twist a knife in his back. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is fucking Shay. You mentioned that you don't connect with her plot, and you think that this is like Tyrion is being so stupid. In the book, it's yeah. transparently like everyone knows that Tyrion's being played by this woman, except for fucking Tyrion, and he takes these progressively larger and larger risks, Ugh. and it's like, oh Jesus. And the show. And I've heard it from multiple people that both Martin and the Double Ds were impressed by her presence and acting to give her a little bit more of a three-dimensional plot and to make it ambiguous about her real feelings for Tyrion and whether she was looking out for him and Sansa and all that. I I fucking don't. I don't. I can't stand the character of Shay. I know. You, I think the actress I you is talking about it. barely above replacement level, if, if that. Mm-hmm. Like you cast Roz in in Shay, and I'm instantly three thousand percent more invested. Or anyone that is that that uh, can, I, I don't know. Like, is there a universe where Shay can be enjoyed as, as as a character, or was I super colored from my book experience, where I, she was kind of one note and one dimensional? Like, what what do you, what is your thought on Shay looking back? It's tough to say because now. I have, I I don't like Shay sure. because of all the stuff she put Tyrion through, which 
Tyrion's my favorite character, so how can I not have a bias against her? So I don't I don't know. Like looking back, did I think So even with the show was... cheating and trying to make her more appealing, you still don't like her? That that kind of answers my well, question. Well, I, I don't like her for the reasons that she in the end betrayed Tyrion and you know, got him in a whole lot of trouble. Do you think that she actually loved Tyrion? I think so, but you're right. The performance, I don't think, is all that convincing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not that it's not convincing. It just it feels a little stilted. Mm-hmm. feels like the love is a little forced. Yeah. like, uh, But I guess that's the nature of the thing when you start out as a whore, right? You're, there's always going to be that question of, does she really love him? Yeah. Like, how much of the, the money has turned to feelings here? <laughs> I just think the way they played her as, like, she's just a spoiled brat. Like, how dare you? And, like... Tyrion, oh, yeah. Every every like, turn. I, I think it would have been better if she had just, like, quietly been resigned to her fate, but very sad. Well, that's the then thing I said I can, about I can it see, in like, season four. Th- that, that turn, I can see Tyrion, like, being moved by pity and the fact that you know, this is very reminiscent of what happened with his first wife. But, like, her just essentially henpecking him into taking her to King's Landing, I don't... I, I That makes Tyrion... And then that relationship continuing to just stew there for a yeah. very long time, because I remember talking about this in, I think, season four. Um, and I don't, were we doing the podcast then? I think yeah, we were. That's the first, that was our inaugural, wasn't it? Or was it season I three? think it was. Yeah. I think it was season four. And I, I talked about how much, like, she just didn't understand the position she was in. Like, Tyrion's not trying to to make you feel bad right when he says you can't come to me with the f- to the fucking feast or whatever yeah he's this he's is not a saying fucking... i'm gonna get my head lopped off you're gonna get killed yeah. and all this is gonna go to shit like right now if you poke your head out of this yeah. room yeah this is not he's Con- trying to keep you alive this is not kanye being embarrassed that he can't take his whore to the fuck and i'm not talking about his current wife it's amber or whatever he wrote a song about it uh about not being able to get her a, a dress on oscar day because of how embarrassed the, this is like no we'll all be killed right we'll all be sentenced to death a uh, year and Shay never understood those stakes and i right. or she never appeared but to, she and did, I, that's the thing she did because she brings the you know and yet she still acted so impetulantly because like, she so was ready to, she was ready to fucking cut people up to save sansa who she also uh-huh. hates so she, she has a lot more complex character, but you're right. Like it seems like they needed for the plot of the book to keep her being a gold digging whore, but okay. they also, for whatever reason, wanted to give her more to play, and it ended up being a mess, a contradictory mess of a character that I don't even think played that well. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Okay. Uh, in the end, I did not like Shay, and it wasn't just because she betrayed Tyrion; it was the portrayal of the character too. Yeah. Uh, one of these days, I'm gonna have to hit you like maybe maybe for the preview podcast and next year, like we did for last year, where I read some hot you know inner because you went in completely book virgin, yeah, that and, fat uh, pink and, mask, and I deflowered you with the fat pink mask, <laughs> and I hit you with a bunch of other like you know John Snow's actually you know all, all the uh, stuff. right right I I opened your eyes to a bunch of different things. I want to go the whole all these crazy theories about Varys like. Oh boy! Uh, him being a possible mirror person, the fact that he could be actually a woman in disguise, and a mirror person, a I, mirror, a mer- mer- like mermaid. He'd be a merman, mer mer woman, whatever mer- he is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, does he at that point does he even have a gash? That's what I want to know. <laughs> He's got a cloaca. Um, but this, I, I, I perked up a little bit when I heard the tear, uh, Ver- or Littlefinger say, I've always imagined you have a gash like a woman's. Cause I'm like, aha, Littlefinger's been uh, reading yeah. the crazy tinfoil conspiracy theory threads on a song of ice and fire subreddit as well. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, today is not that day. Just you know, I, I did actually covered this in the, um, the spoiler edition way back in like season four. The the whole Varys is a mer person and crazy Varys theories. Uh, the other question I had before we get to the feedback is, what the hell happened to Gendry? Like, I, I feel like even where to go? M- even Martin's lost the plot of this. Like, they really build him to be a significant character with a lot of memorable traits and scenes, and then fucking nothing. Yeah. Like, I really don't understand what... Is he going to be significant? What's your gut tell you about his significance? Uh, so Lancel came back after a very long time being absent. Right. I'm I'm figuring, yeah, Gendry is probably going to come back. And I, I mean, you know, all the jokes about him and his shoulders, whatever. Well, now that Ari is this master assassin in Riverlands, we know that the Brotherhood without borders, the Brotherhood without banners are also in the Riverlands. Mm-hmm. They had a really strong connection. Like, maybe that they'll have some Gendry's with the Brotherhood now. Up, yeah. Like, that, that could be, like, an ultimate team-up. Yeah. Uh, another, I, I, that that would be interesting, I suppose. Did you have any things you want to talk about, or should we get the feedback? Uh, let's get the feedback. Okay. Yeah. Aaron C. says, In the point the end, you mentioned that it might be a plot hole that the Whites were able to get through the wall in Season 1, but could not in later seasons due to the magical properties of the wall. But what if the magic of the wall was strengthened by the reappearance of dragons? In later seasons, at least in the book, I can't remember if it's in the show, Tyrion asked the Pyromancers to make wildfire, which he eventually used in the Battle of the Blackwater. The alchemist expect to have difficulty making large quantities, but to their surprise, they do not. One comments that it's not been so easy to perform spells since there were dragons in the world. Something hmm. about the existence of dragons strengthens the magic of the world, so in theory, it could have been reactivated the magic of the wall. The whites could get through easily in season one where there was no dragons, but not later on when there were. This is actually a super compelling theory because that's not just, I mean, the witches, the, the warlocks in Karth, uh, I think even Melisandre says that her magic has gotten stronger since the dragon. Like, many people have noted mm-hmm. that, like, magic seems to be returning to the world. So, I guess this is the leading theory. If you have to have a magical explanation for it, what do you think? I suppose that could be true. Like, I... essentially, this was the indoor force field turned off. Right. And then the dragons came back and it powered back on. What's the rebel fleet going to do now? Man, they should have been... I mean, they've had hundreds of years, right? They've never sent, like, probes to to test that wall. <laughs> I mean, how long have the dragons been gone? Well, but that's the thing. We don't, un- again, we don't understand the magical time clock of the White Walkers either. Right. Because, you know, yes, why have they been fallow for these 8,000 years? Mm-hmm. There's got to be some reason. So yeah. maybe these dragons, all this stuff is connected. Would well, the dragons- they missed their window. It's like, we don't ask the question, would the dragons have hats if the White Walkers weren't coming? Mm. I don't know. Maybe it's the White Walkers who bring the magic. Could be. Not the dragons. But then if that's the case, then the wall would have already worked. So the dragons bring the magic. The White Walkers Maybe bring the dragons. Maybe it's the case of, of the, the spell. The closer they get to the wall, the more <laughs> force in the field has. I get it. It's an apocalyptic party, and it's BYOB. Or BYOD. B-O. Bring your own dragons. All right. Uh, Aaron, double Aaron P said, I think the thing that gets missed is his Gurm's actual quote on the topic. This is, um, got a lot of people talking about that Danny's magical fire resistance. You know, that's my favorite topic in the world. Um, but he, he actually happened to quote something that's my favorite quote. This is, uh, something from the so spake Martin archives, which if you don't know, is something on citadel.org where they've essentially taken every email, every con 
appearance or speaking or any statement that Martin's made in an interview and have like assembled it in like a Bible type thing with chapter and verse that you can right. quote. They've held him up to an impossible standard. Yes. Uh, great. Uh, so the in- Inquisitor, Granny, uh, I don't know what the background on this, asks, do Targaryens become immune to fire once they bond to their dragons? George Martin. Granny, thanks for saying that. It gives me a chance to clear up a common misconception. Targaryens are not immune to fire, all in caps lock. The birth of Daenerys' dragon was a unique, magical, wondrous miracle. She is called the Unburnt because she walked into flames and lived, but her brother sure as hell wasn't immune to that molten gold. Uh, another character called Raven She says, so she won't be able to do it again. This must be some kind of AOL forum chat. George Martin responds, probably not. Uh, this can, Then um, Aaron continues... Probably not is probably just Martin being coy with his fans and not trying to give away the coming burning of the cows. Furthermore, Danny having gone through that unique magical process could have permanently given her properties that no Targaryen has or maybe ever had. After all, in the dance with dragons, she survives the fire of Drogon with only her hair burnt off, just like the funeral pyre. In Dance with Dragons, she... Uh, her hands get burnt, too, because she's got them wrapped in rags. Hmm. Uh, but his conclusion is both the books and the show, Targaryens are not immune to fire, but Daenerys is immune to fire. I mean, it's right. whatever you want to believe, man. George Martin said, absolutely not. The Double Ds have conclusively proved this to be true. And this is where this canon discussion we had in non-spoiler thing comes into right. play. Because it's my understanding that how Danny escapes from the Kalasar in Season 6 is not going to be how she does it in the books. It's also my understanding that, like, Cersei does not burn the Great Sept of Baelor and kill everyone in a fire. Like, that's something that Double Ds riffed on. So, wow, those are pretty big events that are going to go down differently. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, you, you got what? What? What is canon? Is Danny fireproof? Or isn't she? Yeah, in the I, show, she definitely to, is. That's no me, longer up for yeah, debate. She is because I've only seen the show. But uh, but again, that's there is no debate to it. It's like, what do you want to believe, man? Is it the books have primacy or the show? Because that tells you the answer. Uh, Audrey T said the books in the show spend a lot of time focusing on bastards and their place in society, which of course pretty much at the bottom bastards lots are lamented throughout the series on how they can't inherit lands or money or even have a family last name. Most of the bastards we have met have been young single boys without a mother around such as John Ramsey or Gendry that have been illegitimate children of noblemen. I get how being a bastard of a Lord or King can be complicated, but what about all the thousands of small folk bastards scattered throughout the land? You can't tell me that even without having such an undesirable start that none of them have become successful. What happens when Bob Snow falls in love with a non-back alley Sally and they get married? Does she become Sally Snow? Do their legitimate children become Snows? Wouldn't that be incredibly confusing? I've read the books, but I don't remember this ever coming up. Is there any reference to what happens to bastards when they grow up and start their own families? Jim, do you have any thoughts? No one will marry a bastard in Westeros. They're too low. <laughs> Not even a back too alley Sally. On, no. You got to know. You you got, do you know? That's the married. first thing they'd say. Do you know your father? Do you have two coppers? Okay, let's go. You never get to the two copper phase. No. If you don't know, it's not John. That's the thing. Like John Snow is a virgin by choice, but turns out <laughs> he never got to the two copper. It phase. wasn't his choice. No. Yeah, it was a choice. It just wasn't his. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I. I, I don't know. Like, this is too close to, like, the king lineage question for me right. to answer. I, I don't fucking know. So, so here's my take. Um, yes, it's true that common folk and bastard-born eventually, sometimes they do great things. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, Braun. 
He starts off as just Braun of father. You wouldn't know him. He ends up becoming Sir Braun of the Blackwater. Mm-hmm. And then he becomes Braun uh, 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 Stokesworth when he marries into the Stokesworth castle. Mm-hmm. Like, you get you, you get a last name when you kind of deserve one. Otherwise, because mm-hmm. I think people think of, like, the medieval times as, like, the current, like, everyone's got names in their phone book. Like, in the village, like, if you had Bob Snow and he married Jane Sands, their child would be called, you know, so-and-so son of Bob. Like, Tywin was right. son of Titos. Like, you always... Mm-hmm. And that's good enough in a fucking village. If you if you become famous outside your village, then you get, like, oh, well, that's Bob of the f- chopped-off nose, or that's Bob shitsucker, or that's whatever. <laughs> right, the flea-bottom people don't have houses to... Yeah. ...to signify, right? Right. With the, with the name Lannister, or the name Stark, right. or... Right. Or you'd probably, if you needed this, you'd say, oh, you need to go see Bob the blacksmith. You know, if if you're trying to direct to some, blo- you know, because there's only one, there's certainly not that many blacksmiths in town, and there's certainly probably only one Bob. If there's two Bobs, well, that that's a problem. But I I feel like that's you know, and that hmm. that's still the way a lot of cultures work. Like you see, um, you know, like isn't a Scandinavian still have like they they as part of their surnames is son and daughter. Like your last name is li- like if, if if my kid's last name was you know he'd be like uh, Aronson. Like Leek, Leif Erikson was the son of Eric. Yeah, Grimm's daughter is the son is the daughter of Grimm. Like that's just the way they roll because it's good enough when all you need to know is the people in your village, right? Uh, so there, I I hope that helps. It's not a I didn't I didn't research the the world of ice and fire. Could be a better answer. That's mine. Pepe M says, knowing what we know happens in the future, do you think that Shay was Tywin's whore and that Tyrion unwittingly stole from his father? This may explain a whole lot of reasons for Tywin's behavior towards Tyrion going <laughs> forward. Also, there's, of course, a great bit of irony to it all. Hmm. So, Bronn stole the whore from a great lord. Yeah. Is it possible that's Tywin? Would Bronn recognize Tywin? I Probably Is, is Bronn dumb enough to walk into the biggest tent and the guy with the gold lion epaulets and right, breastplates? deer half-skinned on the table. And, 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 and slap him around and take his horn, and that's the end of the matter? I, that's what you got to ask yourself. Yeah. Like, does Tywin meekly accept? Does he just rub his cheek and like, that guy was rude? Or does he go fucking tent to tent and make an example of the guy who stole his whore? No, I think the latter. Uh, one thing that complicated that complicates the issue is Tywin's famously anti whore. That's one of the shocking things. And when Tyrion find right. out that he'd taken Shay to bed, that like all that was a lie. Um, so maybe he's doing. Would he be so in bed? He'd but still he'd make an example of you in secret, right? Like he doesn't just let that go. Yeah, I mean certainly he kn- he knows about the whore. Yeah, if it were his whore, he would not let Tyrion just get away with that. I wouldn't think. Now the bigger question, which I was was fiercely and hotly contested all throughout like seasons three and four, um, is Shay Tywin's whore in the sense that he is paying her to spy on him and ultimately be the undoing of his son. Right. That, especially in the show, is a much more interesting question, mm-hmm. and I don't think there's a definitive answer. Um, yeah, like when does Shay? Because eventually she turns to Tywin's side. Yep. She's swayed by him yep. somehow. We don't really see how. Right. Um, Varys is probably involved. She's either so jilted that she goes to Tywin and helps him plan this, or yeah. 
Tywin pays her or or there, forces her. There's somehow. a pretty cool theory that that Varys is actually behind all this because Varys right. is the one that's that's actively hiding Shay and helping Tyrion use the the secret tunnels in King's Landing to get back and forth through the whorehouse and 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 the mansion that he's got her posted up in, and that hmm. you know who benefits from Tyrion going over to be Danny's counselor. You know, uh, if, if he if he if he if he tr- dropped a dime to Tywin about this, like there's a lot of signs that point that maybe this is Varys manipulating Tyrion behind the scenes. Could be, but yeah. So my gut tells me that she's not Tywin's whore. That she mm-hmm. just you know uh, when when Tyrion could no longer provide her the lifestyle that she wanted, she decided to see offer her services to highest bidder, which was Tywin. Tywin. Yeah, but I couldn't prove that. Right. So, uh, Corbin says, after rewatching episode 109, Baylor, I can't help but think that Baelish had something to do with Joffrey's decision to behead Ned. When Ned is brought to the Sept and looks up at the council, Baelish seems to have an extra squirrely smirk on his face. After Joffrey <laughs> announced his decision, Baelish doesn't persuade him to reconsider. In fact, no one, he has no reaction at all. I was just wondering if you think Littlefinger was involved in the decision. What do you think, Jim? So... I don't know if there's really anything to support that he was like directly involved, but I think this might be the outcome. He he can live with this outcome. And I think that's why he maybe doesn't jump in mm-hmm. there to try and persuade him because he's already gone to Ned and tried to get him to do what he wants. And Ned's right. gone. Nope. Too honorable for that. Right. See ya, Baelish. Right. So maybe he's happy to see Ned out of the picture. Right. Um, bring in somebody new, bring in Jamie, bring in the hound, whoever. Right. Uh, but I don't know if he I, – I really don't see any indication that he is part of the the decision. I researched this, and I looked, and the books all point to the fact they very conspicuously say that, like, Varys is losing his shit. Right. Cersei is losing his shit. Littlefinger uh, – uh, Pricell is kind of losing his shit. Littlefinger is conspicuous in that he is not mentioned as losing his shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the show, the same. In the show, they yeah. do the same thing. So they yeah. kind of brought that. I and I can't remember what all he confessed to Sansa. I don't know that. Obviously, killing, being a complicit in killing her father is not something he would confess. So <laughs> sure. never mind. Um, but no, I. I think the evidence shows that yes, he had, and I think Varys. I know in the books, but maybe in the show, tries to reason with Ty, uh, uh, with uh, Tyrion that like you know who put it into the king's head to do this when all of his advisors said no. Right. And, you know, something that, that I think Tyrion dismissed ultimately, but Varys, I think, thinks that Littlefinger did it. Now, Varys could have a vested interest in just making Tyr- Littlefinger look bad. You know, he's jockeying for yep. position of being a trusted advisor here. So, sure. Um, they clearly, even if they have a mutual quote unquote respect, uh, they still jockey for power. So, I, I, but my gut says that he probably was. Because else, why you know is Joffrey that bloody minded that he would list he would literally not listen to any of his advisors and just go rogue like this? I mean, we talked about how he might be trying to instill fear right. in his followers. Um, I mean, the crowd's chanting for his head. Right, I, it's possible that Joffrey gets too wrapped up in it, and, just and, and goes he goes. For he it, he but... also has a history. I mean, we think that he went rogue on the attempt on Bran's life after he is pushed out of the for whatever reason that made sense in his head. So, right. uh, I think it's probably more plausible that Littlefinger wasn't involved, though. But again, I couldn't prove it in a court of law. Yeah, uh, Cody S. Uh, how do you think Gendry will return before the climax or afterwards? <laughs> we already talked about in a boat. that. 
So yeah, probably Rowan. And you thought and he ripped. was he thought he was jacked blacksmithing. Yeah. We'll wait until you see his his rowing routine. Uh, also, before season six is desired. Oh, speaking of being jacked, now I understand why everybody was like, "Holy fuck, Lancel got ripped." Oh, because I forgot oh, yeah. how how birdlike yeah, he yeah, was in little... season one, and he comes back and he is jacked. Yeah, he had this little. He became a man full grown. Yeah. Uh, Cody says, also before season six, it was a desire of mine that an amazing subversion of storytelling would be that Ramsey somehow becomes a hero and aids in the defeat of the White Walkers should they cross the wall. Because up to that point, he hadn't totally been beyond redemption and helping of others in the common cause of defeating the final boss. Yes, he was evil, but he could he overcome this. And it parenthetically says his nature versus nurture. Who? Wait, who would have... Ramsey Bolton. Ramsey, oh. Okay. And he continues quickly, but then they ramped up his vileness to the point yeah. where I knew he wasn't going to make it and it was beyond turning around. But now I'm thinking about Littlefinger. Do you think he could still be redeemed? Could he help against the White Walkers, or is my desire to see a villainous character turn good slash unexpected hero unwarranted and it's only going to be the good guys in the finale? First of all, I think you're overlooking the obvious uh, heel face turn of Jamie Lannister. Right. Like, that's right. just on, like, he's the villain, and now he's kind of the good guy. Sure. What do you think of that? Uh, yeah, I think that's definitely plausible. Um, I mean, Jamie's come a long way um, since old Jamie. And, and, but, but as far as, like, Littlefinger, I think I probably would have said no halfway through last season, season six. Uh, right. But the, the interactions he had with Sansa kind of changed my mind on Littlefinger a little bit. Hmm. And I... I think maybe he could be kind of put in his place and and under the thumb of someone hmm. in the end. I think it is, a, and I've never thought about this until Cody emailed it, but it is kind of an interesting thought that Littlefinger, like he gets involved in the White Walker War, mm-hmm. assuming he survives at that point, and he's incredibly useful because yeah. he knows how to raise money. He knows how to influence. He knows he's like he's been working to sow unity. If it's his own best interest that they beat the implacable ice zombies, obviously. Yeah. And wouldn't it be funny if he turned into a legit hero of that war? And like almost kind of like the way the Grinch comes, you know, his heart grows three sizes too too big that day. Like him being a hero kind of jazzes him. And he's like, well, maybe I was wrong. And the little guy, and he like just kind of becomes a legit hero. Okay, that's one way to go. Here's here's another way. <laughs> Hit me. I mean, I I could I could potentially see that. Like I said, it, he he kind of surprised me in season six. Um, the other way is he becomes an unwitting hero. Uh he's just doing his little finger thing, trying to gain power, trying to gain wealth, and that happens to help the realm fight off the walkers. Right. So that's a little bit. That's a, a slightly different nuance than I was going for. Right. Right. Um. Like, instead of, like, well, I have to put aside my schemes to help the realm because I can't let the realm be taken over by these alien beings, uh, he's still playing his game, but it turns out that those are winning moves for the war against the White Walkers. Right, and maybe he's aware of that, and he understands that this sure. also helps the realm, but he's going to get his, too. No, that's that's interesting. We spend a lot of time talking about who are the good characters that are going to fall. <laughs> is it going to be Danny? Is it going to be John? Is it going to be fucking Bran? It's going to be Bran. I know it. Oh, uh, but but we don't spend a lot of time talking about the redeemable villains either, right? So, um, but yeah, you're right on Jamie. He's he's coming around. I hope he does. Seems to be a number one redeemed villain. Uh, I don't want to say Tyrion, except for I don't think Tyrion was ever villainous. Like you were, I don't he think was so either. out and out prota- point of view protagonist from the beginning. Yeah. 
Uh, Kyle says, I have some thoughts about whether Yorn is b- breaking his vows by saving Arya. First of all, this is a question we d- debated last week. First mm-hmm. of all, the North is the only kingdom that holds any substantial respect for or provides any real support to the Night's Watch. It would make sense that they would also hold a healthy respect and appreciation for the Lords of the North. Given Yorn's traveling job, also it would make sense that he knew Ned pretty well and called on his uh, hospitality often. There's probably a part of him that felt honor-bound to preserve the safety of one of his order's true remaining friends. Further, we already know that many men of the Night's Watch spend their nights away from the Wall and brothels, and why wouldn't they if their watch is a sentence? After some thought, I'm beginning to see Yorn's actions as the first but subtle breaking of vows for the good of the Watch or the Realm. Maybe Arya's life would be rewarded by badly needed resources at the Wall. Maybe the honor of saving a child outweighed the loss of honor in getting involved in politics. Examples of honorable black brothers breaking their vows. Sam, for all intents and purposes, takes a wife. And John, now a widower, carries out some of his Lord Commander duties, such as hanging the betrayers, before saying the words ending his watch and setting out. I mean, why are none of the Northern Lords asking, why are you doing, what are you doing here, deserter? I sentence you to death. Um, You're right. Like, that's, some of these conversations we had kind of in the context of, you know, being fun for the season one only watchers. Mm -hmm. Because you're right. Like, if you look at the history of the Night's Watch, even what Jor says in this episode, like, you know, uh, we kind of know that dudes go and fuck whores in Moletown and do mm-hmm. other stuff that we're not aware of. And, you know, John transgresses, Sam transgresses, everybody does. So yeah, it's a little le- less of a hot take now. Right. It's not necessarily, you know, about whether or not he is breaking his vows, but whether or not that's permissible. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing, like... I do think that, yes, they serve the whole realm, but also they probably give a little bit more juice to what the Northern Lords say, because as he mentions, they are their primary benefactor and supporter. Right. And they probably have to give, you know, obviously they can't piss off the king because uh, the king can come up there, the large army, and kick their ass in. So, sure. you know, but if they have to decide whose request to grant between, say, Ned Stark and Tywin Lannister... I bet Tywin Lannister gets a lot of, oh, we regret to inform you that we cannot go. Yeah. Although Tywin probably never writes a Night's Watch anyway. No. Chris M says, I don't like picking on economic and science details and story if they matter, if they, if, if they, wait, I don't like picking on economic and science details and stories if they matter to the story, but the Night's Watch could easily be fully staffed if the idiot lords and King's Landing just made slightly harsher laws for stuff like minor theft. <laughs> right. You have the jails filled in a week. Everyone would win since, one, the wall's properly manned, two, the population's venting on, uh, v- population venting of King's Landing, and three, guarding the walls likely better than living in Flea Bottom. Uh, careful, you're starting to sound like a CCA executive. <laughs> what, yep. is, what is the financial yep. gain of putting people in prison? You know, they can make tons of license plates for free and take them off. Yeah, it's... Uh, you're right. They could make spitting on the sidewalk or shitting in the streets illegal and and swell the ranks of the Night's Watchmen, but... Season wonder, 7. Yeah. Also, I wonder what the implication would be of being like... if So Jor is able to rule over a small number of rogue black brothers with a couple of hand-picked lieutenants that are in power. Could he oversee like a, a slave army of 10,000 criminals? Like I don't. I wonder if the scale even works at that point. How do you feed all those people up there? Yeah, I like, still got to do that. Yeah, it doesn't come for free necessarily, but yeah. I mean that you're you're presupposing that the entire realm is behind the Night's Watch, which I think you, if that was true, 
you'd have a whole bunch of volunteers and tributes right. and all kinds. Of, like it'd be a properly be staffed. This, yeah, exactly. It's mm-hmm. like if things weren't the way they were, then. <laughs> Uh, Dave B says, I always thought that Miri Mazdur tricked Danny into the blood magic for the purpose of not really helping Drogo. After mm-hmm. all, she offers to heal his wounds first, and Zrogo, his portmanteau of zombie Drogo, ah. was always part of her plan. I also thought that she caused the early labor and deformity of Rego as part of his death. She mentioned that when Danny saved her, she'd already been raped multiple times and her village burnt. According to the Game of Thrones wiki, she didn't want Drogo or the stallion that mounts the world to cause more suffering, so the only option was to kill them. I mean, yeah, I think if if I'm if I'm the witch in that scenario, I really go, I really lean into the stallion thing, and I make him have hooves, and I make him have a tail, and sure, long hair. She went dragon. Yeah, uh, it's odd choice. Thing, do you think this is literally true? That like Dane, because like, I think that's, so. Because it's one thing that's interesting is that. The actual depiction of Danny's unborn child roughly matches the popular depiction of how Tyrion looked when he was born. Oh, okay. Uh, which a lot of people have used to, you know, further the Tyrion as a dragon rider, secret Targaryen theory. Um, like that's a that's a, but it's a weird similarity. Like you didn't look like a baby the way an actual Targaryen did look. QED, you're a hidden Targaryen, right? Like it's you, weird, yeah, because we know it's not true about Tyrion, right? So it's it's a, it's a literary connection between the bloodlines, I guess. Um, but yeah, anyway. Plus, also Tyrion's a lot more stunted and fucked up in the books than he is played by Peter Dinklage, who is a right conventionally handsome and fairly proportionate dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave McBee. Okay, we already talked about his email. Zach T. I was curious about the reveal showing Grandmaster Pycelle is more spry and sharp witted than he appears after Roz leaves his chambers. When I first watched this part, I assumed that the showrunners were getting at something important that wasn't there in the books or that I didn't pick up on. Uh, I didn't think it was coincidence that the scene was directly followed by the two other small council members, Varys and Littlefinger, hinting that they're indeed up to more than they let on. Uh, so let's skip ahead because we talked about a lot of this. Uh, a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Um, he wants to know, was this dedicated ruse all for nothing then? Did it really not go beyond attracting undeserved pity from members of the court and prostitutes to avoid subjects of payment? If they were, there's a fine line between not wanting to present yourself to the powerful as too competent or ambitious and not wanting to present yourself as too useless, mm-hmm. which Pycelle was at risk of doing. Do you think the Double Ds were originally planning something more elaborate? I don't know. This is in the books, too, yeah? No. No? No. His his artificial spryness uh, or decrepitude oh, is, is not a, a part of the books. So, I don't think it's paid off in any significant way. In, in season three, I think of the Blu-rays, they have the deleted scenes. Mm. There's a deleted scene of Tywin Lannister fishing at King's Landing, which kind of harkens back to him butchering a deer. Like, he's an outdoor... He's a rugged outdoorsman when he's not being a Machiavellian mm-hmm. leader of the people. And Grandmeister Passel stoops up to him and, and does all the... Tells all this shit, and Tywin says something to the effect of, and stop with the hunchback bullshit... And Pycelle straightens up and says, as you wish, my lord. And they both kind of share like a, oh, you kind of look. And that's the only thing I can think of is that they wanted to have this in their back pocket for Tywin to smoke out to make another example of Tywin being the smartest guy in the room. That he knows even, like to suggest that he knows his sycophants even close, most closely guarded secrets. Hmm. 
Um, but it was a deleted scene, and like by this point, Tywin had already manifestly demonstrated how right. badass he was on a numerous occasions. Yeah, seems like a good deleted scene. Uh, maybe they thought, yeah, they'd need it, but I don't think they did. Yeah, I'm glad they cut it. <laughs> yeah, because uh, you know, again, in the books, you have lots of interior monologues of Jamie and Tyrion and Cersei and everyone talking about how fucking awesome Tywin was, and maybe they thought, right? Like we we talked about how they did a lot of showing, not telling this this season with like little quirks of the character that tells you a lot about them. Yeah, but they didn't use it, so. I don't know if it was something more elaborate or it's just like, hey, we, we, we think it's beneficial to be underestimated by other people. Uh, Charlie from Long Island uh, says, you guys have recently discussed something, uh, someone ordering the books in a chronological chapter sequence. This got me thinking, what if the first shot of the show was the full Tower of Joy scene? We see Ned huh. take the baby from the tower and by the end of the first season we figure out it's John. How would that impact the rest of your watching, knowing John's uh, true heritage, knowing that this guy has a claim to the throne? Would it have made it better or worse? I I feel like it makes John's fate at Winterfell a lot more tragic, mm-hmm. in that his his uh, bastard father's wife is like giving him shit all the time because she thinks it's this this bastard baby of yeah. Ned's. Like I. <laughs> I feel like I'd, I'd probably feel worse for John than I do already. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the same. You could ask the same question about like, what if you knew from the very beginning that Luke was the chosen one? Like from the very mm-hmm. uh, from, from his twin sons at Tatooine, he's not now. He's not just a whiny boy about talking about the moisture farming. He's actually got a little bit more. But to me, that makes both of those stories seem. If you did that, more conventionally, Cinderella, Snow White, right. yeah. Um, Sleeping Beauty, like, this is very, once upon a time, there was a boy who was born, and his mother died, and now, like, you know, it's right. like, it's very much more f- straight-up fairy tale, which seems like Martin and Lucas both are trying to avoid, and going more like a Joseph Campbell kind of very steeped in myth and importance and mm-hmm. and and his seeming historicity and stuff like that. that. That's the only thing I can think of. That's So I think it would be worse. It would be a lot more Princess Bride and a lot less you know, uncovering a mystery that, that, that the, even the protagonists don't fully understand. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, Scott Dubb from Cincinnati says Tyrion promised to Hill tribes dominion over the Vale If they'd help him with, with the battle of the green fork, clearly they did their job. Tyrion and the Lannisters have motive to seek revenge against the Tullys, especially with the real risk that they could attack in, uh, or ally with in revenge of the Starks, especially after the war of the five Kings, there'd be incentive to boot the Tullys and pay their debt to the Hill tribes. But Littlefinger's later alliance proves that this doesn't happen. What up? A uh, couple things. Uh, I think you're confusing the Tullys with the Arryns. Right. And it's confusing because the Tullys married into the Arryns, and they also mar- married into the Starks. They were they were busy bees this last generation. Yeah, that is Cat's sister up there yep. in the Vale. Um, yep. They married off their daughter to the Lords to two Lords Paramount. That's right. That's pretty pretty sweet. Paramount. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think. Yeah, it, it wouldn't be revenge on Kat so much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just her sister who's crazy and kind of Kat's pissed at anyway. Yeah. Uh, so if my memory serves in the books, I can't remember what they did in the series, that the Hill Tribe people follow Tyrion to King's Landing and kind of intimidate the Hell. Like, that's his private security force. Mm-hmm. And then uh, 
as he slowly finds less and less need for them, he sends them to like uh, in the War of the Five Kings he, he, heats up. He sends them off into the Kingswood, and they just kind of like you know pillage anyone that's trying to move across, which is like the the Rinley Baratheon's forces, mm-hmm. and kind of harass and harry and decide amongst themselves that this is a better life than they lived up in the meager mountains. And I also think that people are way overestimating how much loyalty Tyrion feels to these people and Tywin too. Right. And like, also, as I've said many times, I don't think that even if you armed and doubled their ranks, that they would be able to seriously challenge the Lords of the Vale. Mm -hmm. Like this, I just, they don't have the technique. They don't have the strongholds. They don't have the techniques. They don't have the, the uh, supply lines, like all the things you need to fight a war against professional soldiers. They don't have any of that shit. Yeah. I'm with you. Just send them up there and let them do their thing. They'll get killed. But it's like, I don't, I don't think Martin cares nor Tyrion or Tywin about what happened to the hill folk. Although I think there is an answer. Like I I think like half of them went back to the mountains and half of them decided that, Hey, South here in King's Landing is, is, is better than, than living meager existence up in the mountains. Uh, BD or Bill D says there's a connection that stands out that was lost on me the first time around, but I haven't heard you guys mention it during cat's negotiation. The shitbag Frey, uh, that's apparently his full name. Part of the result was that Arya was to be married to one of the Frey's sons. Sure. Considering the book showrunner remix of Arya and the Frey pie. I think I like it that she essentially killed and cooked one of the guys that she was supposed to be, uh, her forced arranged marriage partner. Yeah. <laughs> you cook up your betrothed. That's not, that's not a bad way for Arya to go. Yeah. I like it. Uh, Naomi says, a couple of episodes ago, someone mentioned that it looks like both the White Walkers and Danny are off of Littlefinger's radar. This is my season seven prediction. Littlefinger will try to or even end up being on Danny's small council. Somehow, Littlefinger mm. has escaped public scrutiny despite all the schemes he's pulled off over the years. Few people have even raised any suspicions towards him, and the ones who have spoken out against him are either disgraced or dead, such as Ned and Varys. Unlike Tyrion, he still may be well-liked by the public, even by other minor lords. I think Littlefinger, realizing he's on thin ice with Sansa and that Cersei may have gone a bit mad, will seek out Danny and try to join her team. He's already teamed up with one of her current allies, the Queen of Thorns. Littlefinger may offer to help get rid of Cersei as a way to prove his loyalty, quote-unquote loyalty, or insist that he has both the veil and the north in his hands and convince them to fight for Danny. No one really knows how despicable Baelish is. No one knows his role in the madness that has befallen the kingdom from the death of John Arryn to betrayal of Ned Stark to the murder of Joffrey. No one that is except for Sansa Stark. Uh, and then she launches upon kind of like the fan fiction-y type of predictions that we don't as a rule. It's not, I'm not, it's not a judgment. It's an editorial call. Right. But what do you think of it so far? Like, could Varys and Littlefinger be reunited once again? You know, I would like to see that. I do love their repartee. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. The ball, the, I, I don't the, see the, why The jabs not. at the severed stump are no longer doing it for you, though. That's true. And that's the little true. finger's got lots but more But they've that got more. From. They've got more than that. Okay. Uh, they, that's not all they do. Uh, they take jabs at, at each other's honor and respect and sure. whatnot as well, uh, which I appreciate. And, man, you throw, you throw Terry and Varys and Littlefinger in a room. That's a scene I'm gonna like. Yeah, I just, and, and I don't think it's impossible. I, I just mean, don't think Tyrion trusts Littlefinger, and I don't think Varys yeah, trusts yeah. Littlefinger. So you'd have two of her but most they trusted respect each other. <laughs> uh, okay, do you think they really do? <laughs> uh, That's something I yes. kind of want. Okay, I, I, really, I do. I do think he has a certain like they each have a certain respect for the other's craftiness. 
Hmm. The others, or their the ability they to come so game. far, yeah, from so little. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you know that doesn't say they want to work together. You know, I read in in unrelated research to this podcast, or I guess related, but um, I, I came across in researching some of the questions that the readers had. Uh, a theory that when Varys was trying to warn Ned about a talented boy from the Vale who's risen far beyond his means, that he was actually trying to warn him of Littlefinger. All right. But Ned leapt to the Sir Hugh theory, and that right. was kind of like Varys, like, oh, yeah, you're not as smart as I was hoping you were. I, I And I will scale my that. support. And I'm like, oh, that's a hot take. Mm-hmm. Because everything he says about Sir Hugh also fits Littlefinger, only on a grander scale. Right. So, um, the sand, so that's, a, I guess that's my problem with Sansa Stark being the bulwark against this, because I feel like there's already going to be a lot of people being like, no, 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 don't do it, Danny. Um, but on the other hand, and I, I'm probably one of those. I think yeah. It might be a bad idea long-term. And I definitely think Sansa versus Littlefinger is definitely a fight that I want to see. And I think right. something that Sansa's is going to win. I just don't think the stakes are going to get to Danny before that happens. Okay. But I could definitely be proven wrong, Naomi. Jordan L. I was curious on your thoughts about Roz's addition to the show. I'm glad the sh- uh, writers wrote her in, other than for aesthetic reasons that Aaron's interested in. Uh, <laughs> I got to say, not bad. Not yeah. bad, Roz. Uh, or do you think she's better left out? What do you think, man? Better left out? Yeah, he's saying, do, is, are, are we Just glad like... that... Because she's a purely show invention. Is she? Okay. She's not a character from the books. Is it a good thing that she's in it, or was she? we'd be better off if we left her out? See, the problem is I don't remember the rest of the series between season one and season four. Well, she How up, does she affect, like, Theon's decisions? And I don't think she defects. She doesn't do anything for Theon. She does get... Uh, she tries to play a political game between Littlefinger and Varys and Tyrion and Does ends she? up getting turned over to Joffrey as a torture right. torture play thing. Doesn't end well part, for but her. I didn't remember how she got there. So I I don't know. Honestly, I don't remember enough of these two seasons to say. I've always thought that they included her to be like a commoner's point of view in this cuz like all the POVs are from these great people directly being affected and she's kind of like the viewer in some way. Like, or not a viewer, but like a representation of the common man or woman. Um, and I, I, you know, I think she's beautiful. I thought that a, a, a lot of scenes that she added, the you know, some dimensions. And she was, again, you know, what, what happens when a little person tries to play, and, you know, apologies to Tyrion, a little person tries to play the Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just no way for her to win. Um, on the other hand, after I heard this interview on that radio station, it seems like maybe she was birthed out of desperation because the Double Ds are like, we have a lot of this exposition and one-on-one dialogue, and we don't have the character moments for it. And How do we get into those scenes? How do we yeah. do it? I know. We'll hire a crazy hot redhead to be in the background and just pull details out of Theon and all the other things she did. Hmm. And she became a character in her own right. So. Yeah. I kind of neutral. I think she, she's not ne- a necessary part of the story. Right. She's not in the books. Sure. But she also, well, I think, made the most of her opportunity, unlike Shay, who was given a much larger, more three-dimensional role. And mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, artistically shat the bed. <laughs> okay. But the double Ds and Martin disagree. So what the hell do I know? Harsh. Harsh words. Tell them how it is. <laughs> uh, Mike, I think this is the last email. 
Okay. No, there's two more. Mike, one thing I love about the show is the cinematic depiction of the different regions, the harshness of Winterfell, the lush greens of the Reach, the vastness of parts of Essos, etc. Rewatching the early season of the show, I'm reminded that the only one of the Seven Kingdoms we haven't seen is Casterly Rock. Considering mm-hmm. how important the Lannisters are to the show and how many times we've heard this area mentioned, it seems odd. Were there any parts of the book that were set in Casterly Rock? Uh, no, not that I can think of. I know that there is some uh, kind of flashback reminiscing of Tyrion you know, running the sewers. Or is that part? In, is that in the man? I, I can't trust my memory of whether that's a show only detail or um, I know there's also a memorable fantasy, like a dream sequence where Jamie is dreaming that he's lost in like the catacombs of Casterly Rock. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think that we've actually seen it. It's I described as awesome, like this big rock that's kind of sort of lion shaped. Like in the popular okay. depiction, it's kind of like like where Lionel from the fun, th- fucking Thundercats would hide out. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I, I, I kind of want to see it. There hasn't been much of a reason to, right? Like no important events have taken place up there. Yeah, there's not been a big war like fought Kevin in the Western hangs out there for a while. Ke- yep, he goes but the who salt, cares about sure, Kevin? Right, when he's in, he comes back to King's Landing when he's interesting again. Right. Um... So, yeah, um, he continues, uh, perhaps the Tyrion returning to Westeros and Jamie seemingly at a crossroads will see some scenes set there in the next season. Yeah, I mean... And, and maybe Danny comes and conquers Casterly Rock. Says, as a big fuck the fuck East you. Coast, I'm going, I'm flying yeah. my dragons, I'm doing a rearguard action. I, I already got the Dothraki on a boat. That's right. the hard part. Sure, sure. We're just going to keep sailing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Why not? Um, I, yeah, I, I guess in the same way that I was excited to see the impressive looking Riverlands this year. Yeah. And I love seeing the Erie when we can get a chance to get up there. Right. You you would have said that about like River Run up until. Right. We actually recently, right? saw River. I mean, that we've yeah. seen River Run before, but like it was super impressive last season. Oh, OK. Um, yeah. No, I would love to see Castle Rock. Yeah. Uh, whether it's going to be important. I, I don't know. I don't know. Especially in a show where like. Castle Rocks broke and played out at this at this point. Uh, Brett R, last one. Question for you. Joffrey said he's still married to Sansa. I can't figure out why. I have to believe that any marital alliance to be gained with this House Stark went flying out the window when Joffrey had Ned's uh, Stark's head cut off. What possible benefit is there that he couldn't that couldn't also be achieved by keeping her prisoner in the dungeon? That's a real good question. I think it's this is kind of a holding pattern that. Cersei's not smart, but smart enough to know that she doesn't understand all the implications of setting aside marriage arrangements and alliances. And it's like, you know, she hasn't even gotten her period yet. She can't give her jaw for any sons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's quickly set aside. So I feel like this is all in the works, but she's not going to do that until like her father shows up to advise her. She's just smart enough, and okay. and Joffrey kind of, I think, relishes the idea of tormenting this girl that he's going to marry. Well, sure. So he's not like, why am I, you know, shacking up with this traitor? I so I, I think it's just that she's not that important to their plans, right? I mean, I guess that's what the emailer is pointing out. Well, the other thing yeah. is, you know, the only other thing I can say is that the Lannisters know that they don't have Arya. Mm-hmm. And so may, there might be a little mental calculus of if we're unnecessarily cruel and vicious to Arya or to, to Sansa, we only have the one. And if we want to trade him for Jamie straight up, like what, what, how much goodwill can we burn with the Northerners? But they cut Ned Stark's head off. So, yeah, 
Like, goodwill gone. Uh-huh. Like Tyrion said, glass smash. But, again, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think they addressed this. And I think... I, I, and I can't tell if you're, like, a first-time through type person, Brett. But it's quickly dealt with in later seasons. Like, is she set aside in season two or three? Hmm. It's got to be or two, four. right? I don't know, because, like, when does Mar- when does I, I, I think... So, no, it's got to be season three, because Marjorie Tyrell, the Tyrells come running to the rescue of King's Landing at the end of Season 2, the Battle of the Blackwater, which is what... Right, and Sansa's in that room, holed up with Cersei, yes. while the attack's happening. So she, and so so then they, they have the political uh, need to have a marriage alliance between the Tyrells, the Cementus new relationship, and that's right. when they set the, the, the High Septon moves to set her aside and allow Joffrey the difficult decision of taking Marjorie Tyrell. Um, so yeah, um, I... I I don't know if those answers satisfy you, but they're the ones I have. <laughs> uh, so that's it for our spoiler section. Comes to a close once again. Uh, if you'd like to send us feedback, we got one more week for it, and then we're going on hiatus mm-hmm. for a good long while. Not sure when we'll come back, whether it'll be before season seven or after season seven, but uh, that's when to look for us next, probably. Yeah. Um, Game of Thrones at baldmove.com or forums at baldmove.com if you want to discuss this stuff uh, for one last time before we. Uh, you know, uh, hibernate for a bit for, yeah. the, for the real life winter that is is coming. Uh, but yeah, we'll be back next week for a wrap up. All right, and it'll be largely what you, I, I, I the only thing I have planned is a, dis, a, a kind of a deep dive of the differences between the books and the show, okay. which I think are kind of it's weird because it's easier to make a comprehensive list in the early seasons because there's fewer deviations, yeah. but the deviations are, it's, it's a lot, it's easy to hint peck of like, Oh, well, so-and-so did this. And he actually, it was this other character and this character's last name was this. And whereas in the other, once you get in the, the later season, it's like shit is way different. Y'all. Yeah. Like the only thing that's the same is beginning and the end. Um, <laughs> but I, I think there was some kind of interesting things. Um, it'll probably be cribbing from the old podcast on that stuff too, but Everything else is going to be whatever you guys want to talk about, and uh, Mm -hmm. we'll see you next week. See you then.